Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And here you have the Democrats saying that dreamers don't deserve to be treated like dogs and thrown out of the country, and they were standing firm on that. Don't you respect that? Dreamers are human beings. And the idea that he will only be as generous or as loving, right, because he said he wants a bill of love, as warranted by what he gets in return does not seem like love to me. Uh, trying to solve the problem, though, is he's the president of the United States. He's the commander in chief. He's responsible not only for the well-being of the citizens. He's also now taking responsibility for for helping the folks who are here under DACA temporarily, at mm -hmm. least through through March. But he's also in charge of making sure that drugs don't come in, that future illegal immigrants come in. It's not you can't do it the way you you, you just laid it out, Chris. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to do a deal on DACA and that's it. Why it doesn't solve? Because it doesn't solve the problem. It does the for the United States. The pre doesn't solve the problem for you, for me, for everybody else. Doesn't solve the, the issue of drugs costing the problem. You know, you can't, you can't do it like that. You can if you want to, you could, but sure. that's not an effective way to solve the problem. But it's an effective way States, to help the dreamers, and he called it a bill of love. None of that other stuff is about love. It's about security, and there are things that are important, but not the same as giving these dignity that these human beings who were brought in as children, who he says he cares about. Look, uh, fabulous questions, great question. Go back in time, ask President Obama when he had control of the White House. 60 votes in the Senate and the House. Why didn't they solve illegal immigration? Why didn't they deal with the Dreamers? But he did the ban? executive action to protect the Dreamers because the he rest did. of you guys couldn't get it done. That's what a well, leader does, right? Again, you were ignoring the fact that he controlled the Senate and the House, again, with 60 votes in the Senate. But go to the executive action, because I was watching either an interview you did earlier today or last night. Um, the executive action was illegal. I know you said that it wasn't determined to be illegal. But it never but finished it, that process. Um, the deferred action against parents was determined to be illegal by the courts for the same but the, reason but the that litigation DACA wasn't finished. Been, but if the president had allowed the litigation to go forward and the courts had undermined or had overturned DACA, it would have been instant. And what the president did was he gave Congress at least six months. Simply waving a wand and giving amnesty to 12 or 13 million people may solve a problem for them, but doesn't solve a problem for the other 300 million people But they're not a problem for you. The dreamers. No, no, it solves the problem for them. I know, but, but they are not a problem to you. This imaginary crisis that immigrants no. pose to the United States. Dr dreamers are, are not a problem. They're a benefit. And in fact, uh, according real, to the Center for crisis. American Progress, if you get rid of them, you'd cost us $433 billion over 10 years or $43 billion a year in U.S. gross domestic product. You cost us money by getting rid of them. You're not going to get me to disagree on the value of legal immigration. Illegal immigration is a different topic, and I'm not going to debate a Center for American Progress report on your on your your show. Come on now, that's not that's not even. You reasonable. don't believe Center the numbers? For, Center for American Progress? Seriously, let's, let's find let's find a couple different studies on both sides of the argument. You know that I could find something from some right. Do you? Well, the exact What's How wrong with so it is that you're lumping in something that is an exigency with a human cost right now with things that are not on that same sphere no. of importance. Yeah, but if I'm a Democrat, and of course I'm not, but God knows I'm sounding more like one every morning if <laughs> we're a Democrat. And I went back to my town Very hall meeting and they said, you backed down. I would say, I, I did what? Yeah, and this I did is what? I guaranteed by standing up to Donald Trump and making sure he was out of this process, 
I guaranteed chip funding. I guaranteed by my fighting. You're telling me that a three-day shutdown wasn't worth guaranteeing health care for millions and millions of the truly disadvantaged children? I mean, that's a win for I, Democrats. I can't tell you how. If they know how to spin it the right way. What do you think about Trump deflecting blame under the Democrats because of the shutdown? Trump is a racist. He doesn't want more brown and black people here. That's why he talks about shithole countries. That is his whole M.O. That's the M.O. of a significant portion of the Republican Party. That's why there's a shutdown. There's the only reason. So apparently he spent all day yesterday. Enough Republicans and Democrats would vote for a compromise on immigration right now. But because of the far right wing and Trump being racist, they don't want to make the deal. Are you, are you proud that the Democrats are holding ground? That yes, not I hope they keep holding their ground. Hey, Suzanne, are you happy about the uh, shutdown in the government today? Yeah. It's about time we shut down, or like, what do you get? What are your thoughts on that? Like, let's just like get it all together. Yeah. <laughs> let's get it all together. It's Trump's get it one together. None of us want it. Yeah. Right. Shut down permanently. Right. It's Trump's right. one-year anniversary. You think it's yeah. a good, like, timely thing to be happening? I'm happy about him. You're happy about what he's doing? Yeah, Cutting taxes and whatnot? What are you happy about? I'm happy that the economy is doing so much better. Awesome. I am. That's cool to hear, you know, uh, someone say that in Los Angeles because it's a very opposing very side yeah. to take. <laughs> and now my career is over. <laughs> oh, snap. No, I think there's people that will have your back out there. Well, thank you, Brett. Late today, Fox News obtained a statement from Attorney General Jeff Sessions confirming that two FBI officials sent more than 50,000 text messages over a two-year period. The Justice Department's internal watchdog, the Inspector General, is now investigating whether the missing records can be recovered and whether their disappearance was deliberate. Congressional Republicans are calling out the FBI after learning five months of text messages between two key bureau officials in the Clinton email and Russia investigations are missing. The text messages between FBI agent Peter Strzok and his then-mistress FBI lawyer Lisa Page range from December 2016, one month after President Trump's election, to May when then-FBI Director James Comey was fired and Special Counsel Robert Mueller took over the Russia case. According to this letter from Senator Ron Johnson, who chairs the Senate Governmental Affairs Committee, the FBI blamed a technical problem for the Bureau's failure to capture and preserve the records. The nearly 400 pages of text provided to Congress suggest then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch knew the FBI would recommend against prosecution before Hillary Clinton's July 2, 2016 FBI interview about mishandling classified information. Four days after Lynch met with Bill Clinton on an Arizona tarmac where they claimed to discuss grandchildren, and one day before Hillary Clinton's FBI interview, on July 1, 2016, Strzok tells Page, timing looks like hell, will appear to be choreographed. Page agreed and later replied, it's a real profiling courage since she knows no charges will be brought. The text appeared to undercut Comey's July 2016 claim that he acted alone when recommending against criminal charges. Look, that five-month window really covers some of the big events. And one lawmaker said to me today, if Strzok and Page had the so-called insurance policy, this is when there would be evidence that it was implemented in some way. After the president was elected, during the transition when he's briefed on the dossier, Flynn's interview by Strzok as part of the Russia case, then the firing of Comey and the appointment of the special counsel. I mean, these are the big pillars of this investigation. On this trip, you 
in front of Israeli television and standing next to a foreign leader, slammed Senator Schumer by name for the shutdown. Uh, was that appropriate? It was important for us to set the record straight. The Schumer shutdown failed. The American people know it, and uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was the right time for me to make that. You clear. don't think you were being too political, also, when you broke precedent and on a military base, overseas, forward base, you told the troops that it was the Democratic minority responsible for the shutdown. It was clear they were, you were talking to the Democrats. It was a political statement. You've been criticized. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the twenty fifth of January, year of our Lord, twenty eighteen. We try to get this all week, but I got puppy patrol. So you're going to hear a dog run around? There's nothing I can do. I got the puppy and the big dog, so we'll be dancing with wolves during this podcast. As you hear, there's a lot to unpack. There's evil on the left that we can't even touch. But before we close the loop, which is now being called Fire for Effect with a new soundbite and a new segment instead of closing loop, which doesn't sound like it means anything, we're going to fire for effect on subjects we've already covered which is the military parlance for blow that shit up. Here's some interesting things prior. Cory Booker. Cory, mansplaining, race-baiting, wants to run in 2020 Booker. If this country hasn't broken your heart, you probably don't love her enough. Is that to justify why you hate it so much? Seriously? Kurt Eichenwall. Five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I accept America is dead. We can't build or accomplish great things. We don't lead world in anything but defense, money, and per capita in prison. Hatred and refusing to pay for what we need was the cause. Um, these catastrophes are not caused by illegal immigration, gay marriage, colleges free, and all the other dangling keys used to keep people distracted from our utter collapse. We could build things again if we paid for it. Um, for we could have an economy with structural support and da 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 da. And blo- this goes on for like 10 and it ends. Real jobs are when our children become elderly. Selfishness, hatred, propaganda, and deception have led us down this road for years. I thought we could make it back. Neither party cares anymore about taking us there. That's the kind of shit from the left. Remember, shithole. It's not to say you, you, you're upset that the president said other countries are a shithole. Can't be con- actually corroborated that he actually said it. But you're, you're carrying on about shithole. We've spent a million days covering it. But you hate America. And fancy Ivy League, we're educated, you're morons, we know better than you, tell you how to live, think, thought, the whole nine yards. You say America's a shithole every fucking day. So, as we go to our new segment, doggone fire for effect. I leave you with one last. There's nothing so predictable as a media spin in favor of the Republicans. That's another truth. The left really believes that there's a right-leaning bias in the media. They own the media. But yet, they still think there's not enough hate for Trump. Republicans, normal, middle American, red state people. You're deplorable. You're horrible. They fucking hate you. Which is why I ask... Why would you ever vote for him?
Trump campaign even released this inflammatory ad, suggesting the Democrats will have blood on their hands. Democrats who stand in our way will be complicit in every murder committed by illegal immigrants. The Democrats accused the president of negotiating in bad faith. Negotiating with President Trump is like negotiating with Jell-O. They insist the shutdown is proof the Republicans aren't fit to govern. He promised infrastructure. He gave us a train wreck. And now, one-year anniversary, a big, fat failure F uh, for that first year. One year after President Trump vowed to end Washington gridlock once and for all, the time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. Instead of action, there's now a full-scale government shutdown. Do you think that they're actually going to get something done in compromise here? Well, they're going to have to eventually. The government's not going to stay closed uh, forever. The question is how long is it going to take? And you can see the argument on both sides. As our poll showed, you guys showed it. Mm -hmm. uh, people coming into this debate believe that the president and Republicans will be to blame by a wide, wide margin. Chuck Schumer on Friday gave him full funding for the wall, $18 billion. Put it on the table. Done. That's already changed. Were you in that meeting? I'm just. Do you? Do you? <laughs> I wasn't in the meeting either. Okay. My point. But do, so it's do, hard for the president to negotiate. It's hard for the president or for Senate Republicans to negotiate when the Democrats sitting across the table don't get what they want. They run out and they misrepresent what was a good faith effort to listen and to build trust, claim that some ridiculous deal was made, mm -hmm. and then claim that the president walked away from that deal. And the media buys it hook, line, and sinker. The president and the Senate Republicans engaged on this issue have been consistent since September when the president ended President Obama's unlawful program. The problem we have is for four and a half months, the Democrats have not been negotiating over these very real and very, very honest concerns. What I don't understand is how do you not see it as progress now that, that Chuck Schumer even publicly is saying you get full funding for the wall? Luis Gutierrez publicly saying you get funding for the wall. It's How is that not so, done? How is that not a done deal? They've already moved. Why, if you're the Democrats here, they say, we've moved much farther. So, so Chuck, that, that's a good first step. But the devil is always in the details of immigration. It's a very complicated uh, area of law. Last week, Senator Durbin and Senator Graham were saying, you get funding for the wall. You don't get new funding for it. You get funding to repair existing. And it's only one year. That's an old offer. Time, we've seen this time and time again in the immigration space. Right. Promises are made. Promises are not kept because we spend money on a year-to-year -year basis. And joining me now is Malcolm Nance of the Terror Asymmetrics Project, who among his many, many talents and fields of expertise also knows a thing or two about hostage negotiation. So, Malcolm, <laughs> uh, we already know that, uh, that you are the real 007, that you're all, you have all these backgrounds. We, we brought you on specifically because... You know, there's been this hostage metaphor used with the way that Mitch McConnell played this game. And I want to put back up his own tweet, which essentially admitted that that's what he was doing, where he said, you can only have one of, you can save one of these two hostages. You can save the chip kids or you can save the DACA kids, but not both. In that situation, did Democrats do the right thing in holding out and refusing to negotiate? Well, you know, there are a couple of different ways you can look at this. First off, the, the example you just gave me was, was more of Sophie's choice than it was a, a, a hostage standoff. Uh, but using the analogy of a hostage standoff, what we're seeing here is 
you know, when, it, when you have a hostage taker, a criminal hostage taker, he just needs a concession. And his concession that he needs it, he needs it as expediently as possible. And it's the job of a negotiator to keep that person talking until you both wear each other down and you can get that concession or you can get that person to, to, to resolve the issue. This is much more akin to a terrorist hostage taking, uh, as we've seen in some groups in the Middle East. They premeditated this. I mean, the CHIP program, they, they, they got rid of, or they, they didn't re-establish um, months ago with the intention of using it as a bargaining chip and if possible killing it uh... same thing with the DACA program so by putting a, a you know the democrats into this binary choice there was never going to be a good outcome of that as a matter of fact at this point that's when we would just use you know execute an assault and use a SWAT team to do a hostage rescue but again using this hostage analogy you know if you when you take a hostage the key is trying to keep that hostage alive and well enough so that you can really use them to get leverage over the person who's either going to pay a ransom or give you a concession in this circumstance the hostage you know the, the hostage taker has made it pretty clear that program was probably never going to survive daca was never going to survive and so what you have is a suicide what we call a suicide hostage uh, standoff and again that's when you have to intervene forcefully and what we've seen here is them use this situation to uh, to essentially destroy everything and everybody who is negotiating and, and here's the other thing to remember and I was saying this you know earlier you know when you know that the terrorist is going to kill the hostage it makes it really hard to negotiate with them you know I mean this is this is like the Joker saying I've got a, a bus full of kids here and a bunch of orphans and nuns over there which one are you gonna save Batman but you know that he's going to try to kill them both so you know at the end of the day the Democrats recognize that their best option is not to try to negotiate with crazy supervillains but to actually just come up with a plan and recognize that at some point the Joker or Mitch McConnell are going to get bored and they're going to recognize that this is harming us as well and we'll get some sort of functional government. The president's views on a shutdown have really shifted during a spending fight in May. Mr. Trump tweeted, our country needs a good shutdown to fix mess. Now, the White House tried to walk back the comments at the time, and there was never a shutdown at that point. Then during the 2013 shutdown under former President Obama, Mr. Trump said Obama and the Democrats want this shutdown, arguing the buck always stops with the president. So all of that makes it difficult for the president to completely shift the blame now. During the 2013 government shutdown, citizen Trump accused President Obama of failing to lead. You have to get everybody in a room. You have to be a leader. The president has to lead. Why isn't he following his own advice? During the last government shutdown, Mr. Trump said the fault was President Obama's. He's never been a deal maker. That wasn't his expertise before he went into politics, and it's obviously not his expertise now. My seven-year-old gets what the message is in the end, but it's just not true. Is there a security threat? Yes. Are there illegal entrants who pose criminal threats and are here to create crime? Yes. But by numbers and statistics, you cannot make the case that the illegal entrants are more dangerous than native-born citizens. But you are making that case. You're saying they're the terror threat, even though you know the statistics show that either white supremacists or homegrown people and radicalized here are a bigger threat than illegal entrants. You know that if you look at the prison population or the criminal, um, the committing of crimes by percentage of population, they are lower than they are the rest. So why make them monsters when that's not true in the data? So, 
So, Chris, I don't think that we're trying to make everyone here monsters. What I think you would look and say is that last week in the study came out, we also showed that three of the four terrorists convicted in the United States are foreign-born. I don't get how you attach the wall or security concerns to the DACA bill and say that you care about the Dreamers. If you care because about them, do it solo. If you attach it to the wall, then they're not your priority. Then finding a pathway is not your priority. So here's, here's the difference. As the president looks at the DACA population, he recognizes these are people aged 16 to 36 who have been in the United States in order to get a work permit. By the very nature, they are law-abiding. Therefore, they are productive to our society. We want to find a pathway for them, whether or not that's legal permanent residence or even conversations the Democrats have had about citizenship. The president is willing to go. Might make it more difficult to get the negotiations with Democrats going, but does the president support this emerging compromise that there should be a guaranteed vote on DACA in the Senate, in the House, in return for this extension? Uh, of the government funding. Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican, saying he hasn't been a reliable partner. You've got Senator Chuck Schumer saying it's like negotiating with Jello. Even Senator McConnell says he can't figure out what the president wants. Uh, then, then I think maybe sometimes they're not paying attention. Look, the president has laid out what his priorities are and what his principles are. And frankly, he invited George all of the media in to see and have that discussion. We've laid out that we want to make a deal on DACA. We want to secure the border through the border wall and border security. We want to end chain migration, and we want an end to the visa lottery system. I don't know what's confusing about that. I know that sometimes uh, members like Senator Schumer need a little help and guidance getting through uh, big, big policy negotiations like that. But the president's laid out what he wants, and if they need help understanding it, uh, we'd be happy to send some people over there to explain it to you. Do you them. really want to be questioning Senator Schumer's knowledge of this legislation? <laughs> <laughs> Look, if he's unclear about what the president uh, has laid out, then, then possibly. I think, frankly uh, and sadly, that Senator Schumer is playing games. Look, he wants to make it like this is the president's fault and that the president hasn't been anything but clear, but he has. Why not call everybody down to the White House today? Democrats, Republicans together in the Oval Office. Back when President Obama was in office, that's exactly what Donald Trump was calling on him to do. It sounds like there's a lot that wasn't in this deal. So, so again, I, I have to heart back on what, what, what one thing can you point out that, that the Democrats, that, that Leader Schumer, what one thing did he get, you know, from Republicans to justify shutting down the government in the first place? So, so the one thing I would say that he did get is the potential for momentum. Because if, and I'm certainly hopeful that, uh, that that's what occurs, but if the majority leader, Mr. McConnell, can be taken at his word and over the next three weeks before February 8th, they can negotiate on protecting the Dreamers, on making sure that we can have a full year comprehensive budget that lifts the caps and really make sure that we can responsibly I, I budget know. again. Then I'm maybe still, we I'm can sorry. be in a position to I, get the House up. and the President to come on board. I'm still hung up, though, and I know Americans are listening. And they heard you say, and it's reverberating, potential for momentum. And they're thinking, yeah, potential they're, for momentum, was that really worth shutting the government down for? The what, potential for something. I'll, I will tell you that Republicans should be asking that, themselves that question because they shut the government down. One of the reasons the nation didn't see the president this weekend is because the White House strategy was not to have the president appear to own any part of this shutdown. And the president's lack of engagement, not a single phone call over the weekend with Democrats, led to a victory largely on his terms. As the press secretary said this afternoon, what the president did clearly worked. So, Chuck, back to this shutdown. I mean, what happened here? Did the Democrats lose their nerve? And has anything really fundamental changed in terms of where the fights are, where the battle lines are? 
No, I don't think anything has changed. I would, uh, to put it in football terms, Savannah, I would say this is a false start uh, by the Democrats. The tactic uh, might be an effective tactic, but the timing was poor. They didn't have the leverage right now. There was no sense of urgency, and the Democrats had no explanation as to why, why have this fight now instead of in four weeks. And good evening tonight from Washington. We are here in the nation's capital because of the government shutdown. Today was day three, and then Senate Democrats deciding to give in on the Dreamers with the promise from Senate Republicans that they'll take up the issue soon. The Senate voting to end the shutdown, and then just moments ago, the House voting to follow suit. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell emerging triumphant. Democratic Minority Leader Chuck Schumer emerging with a promise from McConnell that they will tackle immigration and the Dreamers. It's also why this is such a political gamble for Democrats. They took a stand here, shutting down the government over Dreamers, and it is unclear if they're ultimately going to get what they want. We're told Schumer's message tonight to disappointed Democrats, you have to play the hand you're dealt. It is what it is. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. It's over, of course. Um, now we're in the second squab of it where we're just basically going to be, no, we're not going to build the border wall. Yeah, we are. Dems are still where they're at. But we're pushed off till February, and, and we'll see what that go. Christina Marcos, Democrats objected to this poster used by Representative Byrne featuring an old quote for Senator Schumer during the last shutdown. So now the House is voting on whether it abides by chamber rules. That's what they did. That's how petty they got. But the most important thing and why the impasse came, new CNN poll finds the 2018 midterm advantage of Democrats narrowed to five points on a generic congressional ballot. 49% down seven. Republicans, 44, up six. Because it wasn't a messaging it's just what America thinks. Another CNN poll. Once again, all you progressives, all you hate Trumpers, resist, kill, maim, destroy. This is CNN. The most trusted news name in progressive news. DACA not worth a shutdown. Avoiding a shutdown, 56% of America, 34 continuing DACA. That was adults, 3.7 point error, 1,005 adults. Overall, about half Americans say they would blame either Trump, 21, or Republicans, 26. This is how they worded it, because remember, CNN. But the fact is, the highest getter on the poll was Democrats at 36%. Yeah. So in this little thing, they doubled up the numbers to say that it would be Republicans. Because that's how they work, you know, they're just going to play it. John Favreau, I really can't believe the Republicans' shutdown position is we're not negotiating. Emma Loop, Pelosi and House Democrats are holding a presser. Representative Joe Crowley begins with welcome to the Trump shutdown. Playing the blame game, Crowley says Republicans should have shown the same effort here they put into tax bill. The tax bill only needed a simple majority in the Senate because they did it under reconciliation. Cherry Busto is talking about various grocery aisles. Somebody points out they're just trying to look like real Americans. Emma Loop, Nancy Pelosi. Happy anniversary, she says to Trump, pointing to the or orangish sign. Your wish came true. Pelosi then accused the reporter of using Republican talking points to question her. The question was about whether Dems are, face, are the face of the shutdown. That's how they're spinning it. Sarah Sanders, of course, spinned off that. Nancy Pelosi's very proud Democrats shut down the government. Blah, 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 blah. Chuck Schumer. 
Soon, the government will reopen, and we have a lot to do. Protect dreamers, write a budget, address healthcare veterans, disaster relief, pension, and the opioid epidemic. The Trump shutdown will soon end, but the work goes on. Understand. Not write a budget was first. Not protect your vets or your health care. Protect dreamers. It's all about the brown vote they hope they might get. Articles on task and purpose. Articles on the Federalists. Six events that prove the Democrat government shutdown over DACA is a fraud. And these articles, which are all over the internet now, are basically saying... They just wanted to do something to ruin his... That's how petty they are, ruin his anniversary. They had no intent of passing it. But the only thing they could spin up to make it sound positive was, we're going to save dreamers. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Another article by David Hersani. What the shutdown tells us about modern Democrats. And what it says along is they've been doing this forever. This is what they do and they don't care about Americans. They care about future Americans that may vote for them. So how did the resistance take it? Spineless is an ableist term. Can we stick to being brave or not being brave? It's nice to see someone sticking up for the invertebrate, liberal livid after deal to end shutdown. Activist groups were angry at how the negotiations turned out, with some calling it the Schumer sellout. That's what Taft, that's what Politico put out. Politico was on the Dem side. This is horrible. Then they ran another article, White House Democrats blink and shut down White House and the Democrats. Well, the White House didn't. Ezra Klein, Democrats got six years of chip, kept their shutdown leverage, and created some chance of resolving this through normal legislative channels. It's a good deal for at least now. There you go. Ezra Klein's happy. Why can't the rest of you be happy? Dan Bondingo sums it up pretty well. Enough about the dreamers. American Americans are the dreamers, and the DACA recipients are people in our country illegal. Those are the facts. Let's stop at the focus group tested language and talking points and start speaking truth. Dems can't handle facts or knowledge, let alone the truth. And within this, he had a nice little pie graph, or a little chart, I guess, that somebody made up. Um, dreamers. Here it comes. I gotta blow it up because it's kind of fucked up. 792,088% of the dreamers are over 25 years old. 747%, 83% of the dreamers do not have a college degree. 657,000 or 73% of the dreamers receive welfare or other government aid. 189% or 189,000, 21% of the dreamers have dropped out of high school. 9% are incarcerated. 900 or 0.1% serve in the military. These are the people they'd rather lay down with than Americans. Sad thing, 0.1% of dreamers is more than Democrats in the military. So, I mean, I've got to give them that much. So what does it really distill down to? E-Verify doesn't prevent many companies from hiring undocumented workers. You know why? You just get a fine. So what is California doing? California is registering people now who are illegal. Automatic voter motor going forward. That's their fuck you, Trump. We're just going to break all laws. No I-9 verify. Last podcast, we're going to persecute 
or prosecute businesses who dare help ICE. Yeah. And by this podcast, you know, it's been, what, two days? Schumer's already withdrawn the wall. He's not going to do it. He's not going to help. Which doesn't surprise me whatsoever. It is what it is. To Twitter, how many of you got that nice little note about Russia, Russia, Russia? I got one. I'm going to read part of it. Dear FOP, as part of our recent work to understand Russian link activities in Twitter during the 2016 presidential blah, 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 consistent with our commitment to transparency, we're emailing you because we have reason to believe that you either followed one of the accounts or retweeted or liked content from these accounts during the election period. This is purely for your own information purposes, not related to security concern for your account. We're sharing the information so that you can learn more about these accounts, blah, blah, blah. In 2018, we're building improvements, our blog, people come to Twitter, yada, yada, yada. Here's the problem with that. Every conservative got it. Every conservative got it. I don't know one liberal I follow who got that. So they don't know if you clicked or linked it. They just know you didn't love Hillary, so you must be a Russian agent. That's how Twitter handled it. Facebook says it can't guarantee social media is good for democracy because they can't scrub it enough to let you know who to vote for better. I mean, people might tell you the truth out there. You can't have that happening. Which brings us to Russia, Russia, Russia. Cheryl Atkinson starts us off. Newly turned over text messages just A.G. Lynch somehow already knew FBI would recommend no charge for Hillary when Lynch announced she would accept any FBI recommendation. Airport has something to do with that, I'm sure. Text messages turned over by FBI indicate FBI officials changed additional language and Comey announced was staying no charge against Hillary Clinton and email probe. And then A.G. Lynch announced she'll accept whatever they said. FBI inside page text her alleged boyfriend, FBI official Stork, and yeah... It's a real profile in Curry since she knows no charges will be brought. Now we find they failed to preserve five months of text between these two jackasses. All of them were Stork and Lisa Page. Breaking, FBI notifies Congress a certain FBI text messages evidence is missing. We just lost them. Kind of like Hillary's emails. This prompted the Hill, who we cover most of the time for media bias, was Lynch coordinating with Comey. Because now they're starting to see that there was some coordination. And while we're covering shithole, how Trump's the devil, the Nets never released the revelation. That means ABC, NBC, CBS never released or covered the texts are lost. Nobody even talked about it. This reminds me a lot of the election. We, we don't cover things that are bad for the left. Not surprised they didn't cover it. But they haven't. Trey Gowdy, thousands of texts, the thousands of texts that Trey Gowdy covered 
and I reviewed today. This is John Ratcliffe. I'm reading this all fucked up. The Thousand Text, John, uh, Trey Gowdy and I reviewed today revealed manifest bias among top FBI official agents against Trump. The text between Zork and Page referenced a secret society. And then we find out, just like McConnell, the secret society met November 9, 2016. Everybody on the internet who is not a total liberal hack is saying, I guarantee I couldn't say I lost six months of text. Ryan Savadra, showing how the left's covering it. Representative Schiff on FISA memo, we can't release memo because people won't understand it. It could be interpreted against Democrats, which is what that actually comes. Now there's articles. Claim, Page and Sork were referenced FBI secret society met the day after the election. There's serious talk at Capitol Hill about appointment of a second special counsel and several new bombshell revelations. First, there are the allegations of shocking and substantial government surveillance abuses under Obama, outlined in the FISA abuse memo that they won't release. Secondly, the FBI lost five months of text between them, and now we're talking about a secret society of officials within the FBI that apparently met the day after the election to plot against Donald Trump. Then they research, these are reporters, they just happen to be not on CNN, MSNBC, that show Lynch already knew. The text message, which was sent by Peter Sork, is jaw-dropping. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, said in a radio interview, an interview with WISN Milwaukee radio host Jay Weber, Johnson read aloud a May 19th text that Sork sent to Page, an FBI lawyer, and his mistress. You and I both know the odds are nothing. If I thought it was likely, I'd be there, I'd be there, no question. I hesitate in part because my gut sense and concern that there's no big there there. This is about Russia. They knew all along there was no Russia, Russia, because they had been illegally wiretapping them. So Mark Meadows explained the context about Zork and Lisa text messages. Remember the key figure here, Zork, the former deputy counselor, intelligent FBI guy who ran the 2016 Clinton investigation, who interviewed key witnesses including Mills, blah, blah, blah. We have all these anti-Trump texts from him talking about an insurance policy in case Trump gets elected. Can't take the risk. Trump's wins the presidency by itself. That's a huge problem. But there's more. We now have texts between Zork and Lisa Page, FBI agents, directly talking about the pressure to finish the Hillary Clinton investigation, a text which occurs right after Donald Trump became the presumptive GOP nominee. So they just wanted to wrap that shit up. We have four texts from May 2016 where Zork says, now the pressure really starts to finish, MYE, mid-year exam, the FBI code name for Clinton investigation. May 4, 2016 is so important because it's when Ted Cruz dropped out the day Trump was a nominee. So we have Peter Zork, the deputy FBI counterintelligence lead Clinton investigator. We already know blasted Trump in a text message talking about the need to end the Clinton investigation, right? After he knew Hillary would be running against Trump. Major problem. Now pause. I circled FBI Director Comey. Remember Director Comey exonerated later? The letter from 2016 that at first called Hillary Clinton grossly negligent, but was mysteriously changed to extremely careless? That change is massively important. Remember, 
Gross negligence under the reasonable person standard is a crime. Extreme carelessness is not. That's why they changed it. Now take that letter change and go back to Zork. We have an email documentation that suggests the gross negligent claim of Director Comey's exonerating letter was changed by them. Think about how important that is. We have a text from Zork about the pressure to end the investigation. Then within 48 hours, documents suggest Zork changed Director Comey's letter to make it carelessness. Folks, this sticks to high heaven. If anything, we, if it's anything we think it is, the FBI changed course on investigation, putting their thumb on the scale to undermine the election. Now remember, this doesn't even address a host of other questions. The dossier, the Carter Page FISA application that they still won't show us, the five months of mysterious missing Zork text, the FBI communicating with Fusion, GPS, DNC hire, Christopher Steele. It's not party politics. It's not partisan bickering. This is an issue that gets at the very heart of who you are as a nation. If any officials of the FBI are engaged in this kind of behavior, we need to know. Bottom line, tell us the truth. Tell us the truth about what happened with the Clinton investigation, the 2016 election, and leading up to this collusion investigation. All of it, Americans deserve the truth. So by this thing, Sessions has announced a DOJ probe of the FBI text messages, the FISA memo, not nay a network has covered it. All you've heard is this. But I think the issue is, does the mainstream media want to cover both of these voices, the people marching on the streets as well as the people who still support Donald Trump? I think both of those are reasonable. But when you have variety of outlets that continue to to just go to the voices of one side, I think people and liberals are legitimately asking questions about that. Jeff? Well, you know, uh, I remember talking years ago to a United States senator who would go home and watch Keith Olbermann when he was on MSNBC uh, beating up Bush. And I said, why do you do that? And I was told it's like sinking into a nice warm bath. And I think on both sides of the divide, people are sinking into nice warm baths to reconfirm what they believe. I mean, if, if the idea that, you know, when I watch CNN sometimes, uh, you know, I think I expect the indictment on Donald Trump to be imminent because the, the focus on Russian collusion and, and that issue is very strong. And if you turn on MSNBC, you're going to get uh, a pretty much a nightly dose of, you know, the prosecutor's case against Donald Trump. And when you weren't hearing this, you were hearing this. New Senator Feinstein, Schiff, urged Facebook and Twitter to investigate involvement of Russian bots in pushing release the memo campaign. These reports are accurate. We're witnessing an ongoing attack by the Russian government through Kremlin-linked social media actors. The only release the memos I've seen are from Republicans who've read the memo. And we're back into the two-step. Real crime by the left. We go back to Russia, Russia, Russia. This is starting to make Watergate look like a blip, my friends. This is epic collusion by the establishment to take out a president. And once again, I don't like Trump. I don't think he's a great president. But once again, as an American citizen, left or right, nobody should have this power to overturn an election just because they want to. To tweets of the day without a bumper, because we're rushed today. 
We got bad news for all the affluent white women who want to make feminism great again. The sisterhood no longer requires your services. Activists and creators of public art, Bree Newsom explains. Here's a pie chart. I'm not going to read it. Let's get to it. I don't believe in the ability of affluent white women to lead a feminist movement in such a way. It's intersectional. Truly understands and addresses the reality and scope of white patriarchy and rape culture. Centers the experience of poor women and women of color. Am I saying there's no room for affluent white women? No. I'm saying the failure to recognize how white women hold a privileged position within a white patriarchy benefits from perpetuating it in many ways in the constant point of disconnect between white feminism and intersectionality. While Tarina Burke and Alicia Garcia have been pushing for Me Too to focus on the conditions of domestic worker, poor women, and women of color, white feminists like Margaret Atwood continually focus on the movement potential negative impact on mostly white men. The criticisms of being lodged against Me Too, started by the BW, are based on distorted understanding of what the movement has begun with. Tarana Burke's movement has never been about publicly shaming male celebrities. Others insist on framing it that way. And in so doing so, they, in typical white feminist fashion, completely ignore the leadership of BW in favor of centering themselves in their perspective, perspective woefully ill-equipped to grasp the racially, gender, and class dynamics of rape culture. The stubborn refusal to acknowledge that white women benefit from racialization of gender, that a true feminist movement must dismantle both patriarchy and racism as once, is a refusal to acknowledge the reality of structural sexism. This is not a new issue, of course, when white middle-class women are defining liberation as breaking away from being housewives and into the workplace, most black women were having to work support the families, many of them cleaning WW's house and care of the children. Blah, blah, blah. So in closing, if you're concerned about the direction to Me Too is going, I suggest listen to folks like Elisa Garza and Tarana Burke and taking cues from them about the focus should be and not affluent white women penning editorials. Thank God somebody said it, a black person said. Thank you, I'm 51 years old, a black person said. This is very well done, a black person said. I'm a white woman, and I would guess too many of us are ill-informed. Thank you for the observation to further your point, drop the fluent, and just say white women in general, a black person said. I'm conscious that I'm a white male and commenting on feminism and women of color. I'm not sure you can be a feminist without having a deep sense of empathy, and it's very core, feminism about equality. A black person said. Women of color were the leaders of the last march. A black person said. Maybe try to embrace the experience of different people from a variety of backgrounds instead of alienating and further segmenting the validity of who's allowed to lead or speak. Thank you for contributing nothing was her response. And the tweet of the day comes from a black woman. She is too dense to see her racism. Hey, tweet of the day! Good evening, my friends. Welcome to the 24th annual Screen Actors Guild Awards. You know, there has never been a host for this award show before. Yeah, it's the first time, first person, first lady, right? And I honestly never thought that I would grow up to be the first lady, but you know what? I kind of like it. I think my first initiative as first lady will be cyberbullying. 
because I have yet to see any progress made on that problem quite yet. And I'm looking at you, Tony Hale. You're a bully. You guys, he's savage on Twitter. I'm serious. There are so many beautiful faces here tonight. I am thrilled to see the cast of Glow. Glow, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is about a tour de force of powerful, strong, thoughtful ladies who get roped into doing Mark Maron's podcast. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss is here from the documentary The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Woo! That's a sad one. Elizabeth, can I just do a quick check-in on your serotonin levels? I just feel like oh, it's not the platform. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> the cast from Get Out is here, you guys. Serving as a walking reminder that if you say yes to the tea party, you're immediately on your way to the sunken place. It's just a fact. The SAG Awards, you guys, is a show for actors by actors. But it is not just the ones in this room. It is especially for the ones who have just gone on their 20th fruitless commercial audition, who are watching this in a studio apartment in Koreatown with their five roommates downing their nightly dinner of canned tuna. This show is for you guys, and it's to entice you to stick around. It's true. Because it's a true privilege to experience and share the wide scope of humanity through storytelling. You know, the skating queen, the grieving mother, the ladybird, even the sea monster. Everyone's story deserves to be told, especially now. We are living in a watershed moment. And as we march forward with active momentum and open ears, Let's make sure that we're leading the charge with empathy and with diligence, because fear and anger never win the race. And most importantly, regardless of our differences, I think we can all come together and delight in one thing. Frozen 2 is coming out in theaters 2019, you guys. I'm very excited. I think those tie in good. Of course, that's the actors. You know, I'm going to have to play that shit because... You can't have an award show without bashing Trump, but to that Bree Newsom person, anybody reverse and put WW and black women don't understand what it's like to live in a trailer park, you are racist. Just a fucking racist. But not only are they just predictable with the hate of Trump, 13-year-old Millie Brown, Bobby Brown, star of the Netflix hit show Stranger Things, Walked the red carpet tonight, Screen Actor Guild, and was called a perfect 10. This went on throughout the entertainment media and liberals. And I'm going to let Christina Manolas, a Latino woman, commenting on a 13-year-old's appearance like this is not okay. You could just say she had a great dress or a cool look. This is not okay in caps. And I agree. They have pictures. Just pictures of her and they're obje sexually objecting her as a person and I thought wow what the fuck what the fuck but it goes back to this weird pedophilia don't want to criticize because there's a lot of pedophilia and gays so we don't want to say anything because intersectionality or some shit which we've covered on the show 
Uh, uh, Megan Kelly fired back at Jane Fonda and called her Hanoi Jane. Oh, that wasn't smart. Megan Kelly responds to criticism of Jane Fonda, saying that she has no regrets about asking about Fonda's plastic surgery. Then she goes on to address Fonda's own past, Hanoi Jane, and so she has no position to talk about what's offensive. Deborah Messing, this is disgusting and shameful. Somebody quip back. What Fonda did was disgusting and shameful. And everybody attacked her. How she just made a point about a war that wasn't popular. And she criticized Seth Abramovich and all these other people. She dare criticize a war that killed 60,000 Americans. You don't even give a fuck about the Americans. You threw shit on the Americans, you fuckheads. But no, John Cardillo says. Deborah Messing. What's disgusting was Jane Fonda looking through a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun site as our planes flew by. And what's even more disgusting is you defending her. It goes back to what I say on the show. Here in our world, we live with a lot of people that wish they go back to the 60s where we threw shit on soldiers Hated the government, burn our bra. And they're still bitching about rights that the people that hated our government, burned their bras, attained. So you're just making things up. To our hypocrisy without a bumper. This is the hill. Donald J. Trump. Where are the 50,000 important text messages between FBI lovers Lisa Page and Peter Sork? Blaming Samsung with an exclamation point? Because that's what they did. The Hill's headline, just in Trump blames Samsung for missing texts. No, that's not what he said. Everybody in the world knew that, but the media, once again, they, they just clickbait. Axios, we covered Axios a couple months ago. Their anniversary picture came up. It's the entire staff. And they're whiter than snow. I see one person of color in the entire picture. And she ain't black. Love you guys, but you work on your diversity or lack thereof. (laughs) Then Trump tweeted, even crazy Jim Acosta, fake news CNN agrees. Trump world and White House sources dancing the end zone. Trump wins again. Schumer and Dems cave gambled and lost. Thank you for your honesty, Jim. So it was basically based off this Acosta soundbite. Now, there's no denying the president and his allies are spiking the football after the shutdown. Trump wins again, is how one source described it to me. Another White House official crowed uh, that the Democrats caved uh, on the shutdown. It is unclear how much time the president will spend on the issue of immigration, though, for the rest of this week. He is scheduled to keep his trip to Davos, Switzerland, for the Global Economic Forum later on this week. Now that the shutdown is ending, uh, so Wolf, while the president will be tasting chocolate in Switzerland. So Sally Cohn comes in. Fake news equals news Trump doesn't like. Honesty, news he does. John Roberts, but he never watches CNN. There's a tsunami warning on the West Coast, and this is what you do? Not to be critical, but the USA has a tsunami warning. Chris Saliza. I don't watch CNN. I don't watch fake news. Donald Trump. Those are all reporters. Okay, I just want you to know reporters. 
can't be objective for a second. Jim Acosta again. Got so bizarre how press secretary keeps avoiding questions with CNN. Somebody says, she's saving you from being embarrassed again. But that's his whole thread for the week. Whole thread, never stop. Then he tweets something about a vending machine. White House press vending machine update. It's completely empty. Snack shut down. Everybody dogged him. I just got to read a few because they're funny. Casey Dillon. Trump's a fascist. Another one. This is what true oppression looks like. My heart weeps. We are all this vending machine, another person said, which I thought was classic. I thought was classic. To just headlines that come out in the uber, uber, super duper bias. PBS NPR poll finds Trump's first year a failure. Feds charge Rand Paul's attacker, media, still saying it's unproven. It was over a pile of brush. Then Slate runs a whole article because Trump's on a phone and they took a picture. This is actually what they said. White House releases hilarious photo to show Trump was working. And this was carried over and over. Then it was taken to his desk as too clean. Thus he can't work because he's not Einstein. Then the independent, Donald Trump's messy desk could be a sign of something really bad. And that was a thread for this week. Because, you know, we, we, we were running out. We, we, we've already ran Coke, drinking 12 Diet Cokes. I mean, we don't have anything else to cover. Then this gem comes in. NBC Nightly News and Lester Holt inside North Korea shares details of trip so far. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs crafted much of the itinerary of where we could go and advising us what they'd frankly want us to shoot. More tonight. And Stephen Miller asked, and you agreed? Somebody else did what I did. Aren't you spreading propaganda? Oh, wait, that's what you do with the house. My favorite, NBC are openly propagandists, both foreign and domestic. Then, Andrea Mitchell rolls with an incident during the Pence Knesset visit. Before Vice President addressed Israeli government on Monday, 13 Israeli Arab members of the Israeli parliament held up signs saying Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine were forcibly removed by security as Pence started to speak. According to NBC News, chief foreign joker piece of shit, Andrea Mitchell, who cried after Hillary lost, this sounds like it could have been a big deal. The problem is that Mitchell's report was inaccurate. Should we expect anything less? Thankfully, Jerusalem Post, Knesset reporter, and analyst Lahava Harkov replied on Twitter to blow the whistle. Wrong on several points. One, they are not... The 13 Israeli Arab members. There are other, they, there are others. Two, it is always against Knesset rules to hold up signs or use props and they are examples spanning decades of people being removed. And three, ushers, not security guards, let them out. Was it retracted? Hells to the fuck no it wasn't. She just rolled that shit. Now to our media mash. You notice it's a little shorter today, don't you? There's a reason our midsection's long as fuck. Remember, it's a woman's march and the March for Life. First, Joy Reid offended by guests uttering the word alien and my 
Sound bite of the year. I don't think that anything will beat it in 2018. Megan McCain, kind of calling out Anna Navarro. How do you call yourself a conservative? A question we've all asked. Is it wise, in your view, as a Republican strategist and a millennial Republican strategist, for Republicans to essentially run on brown people are rapists, murderers, and killers, and therefore do not belong in America? After Steve Scalise was shot in June, you and I had a heated debate about what is acceptable in tone and what when we're discussing the issues. Mm -hmm. And I said it's really wrong for anybody to say one side wants to kill other people or is responsible for that. The same applies here. That ad is disgusting, it's racist, it's fear-mongering, and it's a giant dog whistle. And we're going to pay the price as a party in the long term because the, the country is becoming more and more diverse. At the same time, the president talks about how important uh, illegal immigration and confronting it is. But he isn't confronting it. He's doing things that aren't even conservative. He talks about how we need a wall. Well, he said since his, he took office, illegal border crossings on the southern border are down 73%. At the same time, he's not confronting what has accounted for 42% of illegal immigrants in the United States and two-thirds since 2014, which are visa overstays. You just have to fly into JFK, LaGuardia, LAX, and you just overstay your visa. The president hasn't talked about it at all. Then with the wall, he abandons conservative values and conservative principles when he says, we're going to build a wall. He doesn't talk about how he's going to have to seize tons of private property from Americans using eminent domain, which conservatives are rightfully up in arms about. But he says, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. I know how to build, and eminent domain's a lovely thing. That's not conservative. It's just a guy who's obsessed with a wall, and somehow the Mexicans are rapists, and every Democrat has Chuck Schumer, or every uh, illegal alien who commits a crime has Chuck Schumer on their shoulders saying, do it, yeah. do it. Well, we're, we're going with undocumented immigrants. I think we're going to go with that instead of illegal I mean, we're trying to change the conversation around it, right? And there's certain terminology even like chain migration and illegal aliens. It is, totally is a throwback totally conversation that does feel like, it feels almost like the 80s. I've been asked many times, why haven't I left the Republican Party? Because I'm very upset with several of the things that are happening in it. I don't leave the Republican Party because I'm not going to surrender the party that I love and believe in to these racists and allow them to put forward such things. If they want to have that as their party platform, they're going to have to fight me at every step and other Republicans. I think Republicans are making a gamble that xenophobia and racism work now the way they worked in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. I'm not so sure they are right. We will certainly find out. A bunch of our troops weren't able to watch the championship football game yesterday. Do you think that I want that for our people serving in the military? Of course not. But I think there's a cacophony of blame being pointed everywhere. And quite frankly, you are showing your partisanship if you do not place the same amount of blame on President Trump that you did on President Obama and on Speaker Boehner what? that you did at the time on Chuck Schumer at the same okay, time. Okay, I have a question for but you. It's not, it, is not, it is not intellectually honest to sit here and say this is completely Trump's fault. Democrats are playing partisan politics in the exact same way. DACA is a very, very emotional issue. I agree with you, Anna, that this should be an easy layup, quite frankly, on both sides because of how popular it is. But to sit here and say that this government shutdown has anything to do with my or the Republican Party's love for the troops is just intellectually disgusting. No, we're not we're saying that. that. We're, we're, not saying that. we're not saying that. Not what what they said. I mean, do you think Mitch McConnell should have, should have allowed that amendment? Allowing for pay benefits for the family of the fallen and allowing for pay of for the not, armed but this forces. This is plain party politics. Exactly. We have another month to figure out DACA and so much. They're attaching it to a spending bill. They're attaching it to a spending bill. There is no Ted way Cruz to get Hold on. Hold on. You know, now, we're not, listen, wait. Okay, if we're going to have this conversation, we're going to have it clearly. And, one of the and there's too much overtalk, okay? Right. So everybody just, it's, it's great. All right? I
understand that DACA is a very emotional issue at this point, but most Republicans are on my side on this one, Anna. And I just don't, I, it's really difficult for me to understand sometimes wh why you still consider yourself because a I'm Republican. Because I'm a Hispanic immigrant Latina. Because I, I was brought to this I came here through no fault of my own. Had my parents not had visas, had my parents not had the resources to hire lawyers, I would be a Dream Act kid too. That's why this is perfect. Yeah, that was nice grandstanding, but that's actually not the truth. Anna Navarro, you're not a conservative anymore. You have spent all your time on CNN, and you wanted to be like the cool kids at the lunchroom, so you changed everything you ever believed in, and you're a Democrat. You've been a Democrat for a very long time. Just, you know, it's like uh, five st or the steps to overcoming an addiction. Admit it. Go out there and just say on TV, Hi, I'm Anna Navarro, and I'm a Democrat. Hi, Anna. I'm a Democrat, too. Our stats of the day are sad. Two killed in a helicopter mishap during Fort Irwin training exercise. Apache went down. And all the incredible coverage we've had of shithole and how uh, conservatives hate that people that do drug trafficking are getting uh, deported. I never heard this. But they were from the 4th Infantry Division. And for everybody there in the 4th Infantry, us vets remember. And we hope that family finds closure on this. It's a horrible way. With all the wars and the things that are going on, for somebody to die in training is just horrible. And being a, from a unit that went to Afghanistan, came back, did a training exercise to get ready to go to Iraq, we lost two guys to a tank mishap where they ran them over. Uh, and no fault to drivers. It was just a mishap. I know what it feels like. It's more devastating than combat. You expect combat. You don't expect training. To other vet-related, NFL rejects AMVET's Super Bowl ad requesting that the people stand. It's just a picture of the flag. The National Football League, amid controversy surrounding its player kneeling a protest during the National Anthem, has refused to run an ad by American veterans, AMVETs, official Super Bowl program because of a simple two-word message. Please stand. In a January 2016, 22nd letter to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, MVET National Commander Mark Polk wrote, Freedom of speech works both ways. Respect the rights of those who choose to protest, and these rights are precisely what our members have fought and in many cases died for. But imposing corporate censorship to deny that same right to those veterans who have secured it for all of us is reprehensible and totally beyond the pale. The same ad was accepted by both the NHL and NBA and is slated to run the official programs for each organization's All-Star Games. National Commander Mark Polk and AMVET Executive Director Joe Chenley are both available to speak with media about their outrage and disappointment in the NFL decision to stifle the speech of veterans, media interest in speaking, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Their tweet, AMVETs will not tolerate the NFL refusing veterans' right to free speech. We fought for it. Please stand Super Bowl. 
According to the NFL, take a knee is accepted by free speech, but please stand is frowned upon. Guess we know just how many veterans are allowed to imp- implement the right we fought for. Watch my interview, Team Cavuto. USA Today, Joe Chenley, Executive Director of AMVETS, the players are protesting by kneeling during the National Anthem or exercising their free speech, and that AMVETS only want to do the same. Surprising that was the title. I'm really surprised by that one. Nick Short, NFL rejects Veterans Group Super Bowl ad, urging people to stand for the anthem. Of course they do. If the commercial asked people to kneel and praise cop killers, the NFL would run it. And he's right. Which, once again, cues me into, I'm not watching the fucking Super Bowl. I will not watch it live. I'll DVR it. If it's worth watching, I'll watch it later. And next year, they keep this up. This tweet. Keep it up, at NFL. The hashtag boycott NFL movement is still here. Your ratings are still down. You can push all you want. The championship game between the Patriots and Jacksonville was the highest rated show since the last Super Bowl. But anybody who researches the numbers that I do, you're down 1% compared to last year's championship game. So you didn't improve. It was the highest rated show because nobody's watching your shit. That's why. So, to music spe- music break, and then we're going to go into the Women's March. You'll hear the intro. We can't despair bullshit that I cut out, but there's, there's a nice intro. And we're going to play some speakers, and we're going to play some media coverage. And then we're going to play what you didn't hear on your TV, because it was censored. It would look bad for the left. And then we'll go into pro-life march, which I'm sure you, by the, by the, by, by the stats, you didn't even hear about it. See you on the other side. So I want to find 
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Congressman, woman, I wanted to also ask you about this uh, this march, the president's involvement, the Rose Garden appearance, giving a satellite speech to them. Uh, your reaction to that, given your own experiences. Well, you know, in 1999, the president was pro-choice. In 2016, he had uh, five different positions in three days, and at one point actually thought that women should be punished if they had an abortion. Let's remember that virtually, I mean, most abortions take place in the first trimester. Only 1% of abortions take place in the last trimester. It is about choice. He talked about the woman we brought forward and said she chose life. Well, this is a choice between between a woman and her physician and let us remind everyone that in this country it is still the law abortion is legal there is something very painful to go through an abortion and my abortion was late term at 17 weeks um, it was you know not something that I um, it was a very painful experience and it was a fetus that was not going to survive outside of the womb um, and I think that there are so many stories like that and and there's a callousness with which um, some people, uh, the president included, talk about this because uh, they don't live it. If, as a pro-life person, can I march in this march? No, I cannot. No. Oh, let's talk about that. Uh, is it? Uh, do you welcome conservative women? No. No. That's crazy. I decided. So you can't say you're for women. I, exactly. No, I'm for liberal. It's in the name. Liberal women united. Okay, so you're executive for, uh, women. So you will never win us over. I'm not trying to. It's under. not all about Trump. There are Republican women out here who don't support Trump, who should be part of that march. I That's mean, and, law. and I just think that it's just crazy that they're not including all the women. I want you guys to address this. What about this? You're only pro-women who agree with you. That's it's true. As far as the march, I would think any woman who wanted to, to have a pro-women attitude would be welcome. If Republicans want to show up and march, Republicans show up If I want to yeah. show up and march for pro-life, exactly. I can't. Well, you can. Of course yeah. you can. You can but do that as a kind of protest. Arts. Everybody can do that. Why reject conservative women? Well, nobody's rejecting conservative women. We're rejecting conservative ideals. We're rejecting conservative ideals. And the conservative platform, we're totally rejecting it. We're not anti-abortion, we're not anti-choice, we're not anti-immigration, uh, we're not anti-environment, we're not pro-pollution. Uh, we want regulations and we want protections to stay in place. These moments that we're all having, that's that's actually, a, uh, I guess, an unintended consequence. It's I think you react. make a great point. Would the Me Too movement have ever yeah. happened if Donald Trump were not president? Do you see a connection? Not. Well, we don't know because Gretchen Carlson coming out and all these women who have come out are not necessarily no. a reaction against Go Donald back Trump. To it's a reaction about. It's a reaction about. They lost it's a reaction about Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes. Empowerment of women. Bill O'Reilly. They were all outed and safely away. Yeah. And then the real stuff hit the fan. What I'm so mean? thrilled with the this. Stuff hit the this fan. is such good news because the honestly, Donald Trump is minting because, well, a feminist every minute of every day. <laughs> yeah, of his well, president. I think you're all you know, because the feminists who are going to get that tax cut, and the feminists who may be in the in the military who just got the 2.4 percent increase in pay. Aren't you saying the same thing though? You're no. both saying that Donald Trump is minting a feminist. You're just yeah. coming at it from different angles. So that's a little media intro and a bunch of people talking about it, but. I could play sound bites all day, CNN nonstop coverage. Um, you know, let, let's just talk right up front. 
CNN tweets 14 times more on Women's March than March for Life. 14 times. I tuned in, and all I saw was that during the shutdown. Zero tweets on March for Life. 18 unique for the Women's March. This article says CNN's motto is fact first, but facts are really what they're promoting and organizing. They're a liberal first. On Friday, as March of Life was going on, CNN was promoting how they're spent last year following around the Women's March. How to follow along. From Las Vegas to New York City, here's everything you need to know about Women's Marches this weekend. You can also follow our CNN reporters who will be on the march. They showed pictures from New York. They showed everything. Nonstop coverage. Zero tweets, March of Life. I never saw him speak about it. So here are your speakers. Alyssa Milano, Scarlett Johansson, Rob Reiner, and Natalie Portman. That's just a few of them that came up there, spun lies about how important this is for women. When the entire world knows it's not the Women's March. I mean, let's just be honest. The Women's March is called the Women's March. The March for Life is called the Anti-Abortion Rights March. That's how the media in all fashion from air to print published it. Now, I want you to think for a second. If a liberal activity was not called by its name and then condemned in the conservative print, wouldn't that be an issue? And you said the Women's March, which really is we abort until toddler and hate Trump march. And that's what you put on a headline. Do you not think you'd hear about that? It'd be all over Twitter. Sexist, racist pigs. But the media is so biased, they can't even call the March for Life the March for Life. New York Times, WAPO, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS. They call it the anti-abortion Rights March. Somewhere in there is March for Life. But that's not the headline. So, let's listen to these idiots spin how America is a shithole. Hello, Atlanta! It is so great to be here. Uh, I actually shoot my show here. So Atlanta feels like a home away from home for me, and thank you for that. So let's talk. So January 20th, 2017, was a historic day, although not for the reasons we had all hoped, but what happened the next day was even more consequential. Because that was the day that women rose up. Now, I want you guys to look around. I really want you guys to look around at each other. I see you all staring at me. Look around. I want you to look around, and I want you to realize that this, this right here is what democracy looks like. It doesn't happen automatically. It demands our action.
action and participation. It challenges us, but it also empowers us. Because at the end of the day, it is us. This is about us. And that is why you have marched and you called and you've written letters and you've gathered signatures. And that's why you've registered and that's why you've gotten out there to vote. That's why you've organized and that is why you have raised your voices to tell your stories and used your platforms to tell other people's stories. Because you know, because you've seen just how much is at stake. I know you have, I have too. My life changed forever one night last October. It was October 15th, and I was in bed with my two children, and I sent out a tweet. It was a call to action, first sounded about a decade ago, by an activist and advocate named Tarana Burke. If you have been sexually harassed, or assaulted, reply with me too. And when I woke up the next morning, there were 50,000 replies. 50,000 me too's from different voices. And since that night, the me too hashtag has been used over 12 million times in 85 different countries. tried to take from us. With those two words, we regained our dignity. And Me Too connected us through our pain, but it all co also connected us, and this is very important, it connected us, each one of us, to our own power. Yes. And by saying Me Too, we formed a bond that is unbreakable. We formed a movement that is unstoppable, and when it comes time to vote, you're going to prove that it's also unbeatable. So, Donald Trump's name may not be on the ballot this year, but here is what is on the ballot. Our Constitution... Yes. Our rights, yes. protection, yes. equality, and justice. Yes. Our lives. Yes. Women's lives are at risk without Roe. And believe me, Mike Pence wants a country without Roe. Yes. Dreamers' lives are at risk without DACA. Black lives are at risk without policies that insist that they matter. The lives of countless Americans are at risk without the Affordable Care Act, Medicare and Medicaid. The stakes are just too high to stay home. 
then they are also too high to let your neighbors stay home. But make no mistake, there are a lot of people in Georgia who really don't want you to vote. And one of them is the Secretary of State, who, who by the way, to be your future governor. He's watched as Georgia has systematically closed voting centers in communities of color, making lines longer and the ability to exercise your vote more difficult. And that should worry you. It should worry each and every one of you. So friends, don't let friends stay home on election day, and friends, don't let strangers stay home on election day either. And why is that? Because voting is how we protect each other. Voting is how we make our voices heard. Voting is how we prove that our country is so much bigger and kinder than one man that is in the White House. The good news is, is that in a democracy like ours, the real power is not with him, it is with you. And let me tell you, we've got a whole lot more love and hope on our side than they have assholes. So think about your ability to drive and create change. Replace that doubt with courage to dare. Dare to make a difference. Dare to raise your voice. Dare to be a megaphone for others, and most importantly, dare your friends, dare your neighbors, dare everyone you've ever met to go register and vote. Because democracy takes courage. Democracy takes guts, but most of all, Democracy takes you. Thank you. Now, I, uh, I would like to lead you in a chant. It is one of my favorite chants. So please repeat after me. I, I believe, I believe that we
to thank the organizers of today's event, Dina Katz and Morgan Geffner, who's holding my microphone right now. That's how well organized she is. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. And to all of you gathered here, thank you for giving your time, your support, and your voice to this unstoppable movement. I am proud to be representing Time's Up, an organization made up of some of the bravest, most determined, most inspiring women that I have ever had the great privilege of sharing with and learning from. In light of the recent revelations regarding abuse of power and sexual harassment and the question of consent versus coercion, I find myself pensive, taking time and digging deep to understand where we are and how we got here. My mind baffles. How could a person publicly stand by an organization that helps to provide support for victims of sexual assault while privately preying on people who have no power? I want my pin back, by the way. How is it okay for someone in a position of power to use that power to take advantage of someone in a lesser position? Just because you can, does that ever make it okay? If a person isn't saying yes, but they aren't saying no, how can anyone feel justified to make that decision for them? As I pondered on, I began to notice in myself a kind of revelation too. I started to feel something bubble up inside me, a kind of rage. The revelation that this rage wasn't just for these women that were taken advantage of and ignored and unseen, but also on behalf of myself. As the rage settled in, it gave way to other feelings, sadness and unexpectedly guilt and grieving. And suddenly I was 19 again. And I started to remember all the men I'd known who'd taken advantage of the fact that I was a young woman who didn't yet have the tools to say no or to understand the value of my own self-worth. I'd had many relationships, both personal and professional, where the power dynamic was so off that I had to create a narrative in which I was the cool girl who could hang in and hang out. And that sometimes meant compromising what felt right for me. And that seemed okay, compromising my voice and therefore allowing myself to be unseen and degraded and whether it was intended by the other party or not, because it allowed me to have the approval that women are conditioned to need. I was coming from a place, like so many young women do, of feeling like my creative value and my professional value and my sexual value could only be measured by the approval and desirability of a man. Even if I had come from a household where the conversation about self-respect was prioritized, just being a woman stacked the cards against me. Because for so many centuries, women have been taught to be polite, to please, and to pander. And I've come to realize that not just my 19-year-old self, but my schoolyard self, and my married self, and my professional self, have all at times been a victim of this very condition, a condition that I'm certain a majority of us share. I never completely absorbed the Me Too phrase because I took the phrase at face value, but I've come to realize that while Me Too means different things to different people, to me, 
It is very simply the ability to empathize with the visceral realities of this condition. I want to move forward. And for me, moving forward means my daughter growing up in a world where she doesn't have to be a victim of what has cruelly become the social norm, that she doesn't have to fit into the bindings of the female condition. Time's up on the female condition. Gender equality can't just exist outside ourselves, it must exist within. We must take responsibility, not just for our actions, but for ourselves. We must make it our responsibility to feed our own healthy ego, to teach our children to exercise their own autonomy and ego strength by leading by example. I have recently introduced a new phrase in my life that I would like to share with you. No more pandering. No more feeling guilty about hurting people's feelings when something doesn't feel right for me. I have made a promise to myself to be responsible for myself, that in order to trust my instincts, I must first respect them. I am finally on a path of forgiveness, not for the people who took advantage of my conditioning to pander, but forgiveness of myself forgiving the girl who felt used and heartbroken and confused and guilty and taken advantage of and weak. I stand before you, someone that is empowered not only by the curiosity about myself and by the active choices that I am finally able to make and stand by, but by the brightness of this movement, the strength and the unity that this movement has provided. It gives me hope that we are moving towards a place where our sense of equality can truly come from within ourselves. Thank you. We were all here a year ago for many different reasons. But one of the unifying reasons was we were scared. We were scared of who was going to enter the White House. A year has gone by, and he has corroborated every one of our fears. And we cannot whitewash this anymore. We have a racist in the White House. We have a sexist in the White House. We have a pathological liar in the White House. And he is tearing away at the fabric of our democracy. And when we all came together last time, we had the power. And it's the women, the women have given us the power and the women continue to give us the power. One year ago on this stage, I was very pregnant and we talked about the beginning of a revolution. Today, my new daughter is walking and because of you, the revolution is rolling. You told the world that time's up on violence. You told the world that time's up on silence. You told the world that it's time for a new day, 
time for a new locker room culture, time to think about every person's desires, needs, wants, and pleasure. So let's talk a little bit more about pleasure. I keep hearing a particular gripe about this cultural shift, and maybe you have too. Some people have been calling this movement puritanical or a return to Victorian values where men can't behave or speak sexually around dainty, delicate, fragile women. To these people, I want to say the current system is puritanical. Maybe men can say and do whatever they want, but women cannot. The current system inhibits women from expressing our desires, wants, and needs, from seeking our pleasure. Let me tell you about my own experience. I turned 12 on the set of my first film, The Professional, in which I played a young girl who befriends a hitman and hopes to avenge the murder of her family. The character is simultaneously discovering and developing her womanhood, her voice, and her desire. At that moment in my life, I too was discovering my own womanhood, my own desire, and my own voice. I was so excited at 13 when the film was released and my work and my art would have a human response. I excitedly opened my first fan mail to read a rape fantasy that a man had written me. A countdown was started on my local radio show to my 18th birthday, euphemistically the date that I would be legal to sleep with. Movie reviewers talked about my budding breasts in reviews. I understood very quickly, even as a 13-year-old, that if I were to express myself sexually, I would feel unsafe, and that men would feel entitled to discuss and objectify my body to my great discomfort. So I quickly adjusted my behavior. I rejected any role that even had a kissing scene and talked about that choice deliberately in interviews. I emphasized how bookish I was and how serious I was, and I cultivated an elegant way of dressing. I built a reputation for basically being prudish, conservative, nerdy, serious, in an attempt to feel that my body was safe and that my voice would be listened to. At 13 years old, the message from our culture was clear to me. I felt the need to cover my body and to inhibit my expression and my work in order to send my own message to the world that I'm someone worthy of safety and respect. The response to my expression, from small comments about my body to more threatening, deliberate statements, served to control my behavior through an environment of sexual terrorism. A world in which I could wear whatever I want, say whatever I want, and express my desire however I want, without fearing for my physical safety or reputation, that would be the world in which female desire and sexuality could have its greatest expression and fulfillment. Hogwash. That would be racist, disrespecting the President of the United States, un-American, unpatriotic, not what the First Amendment says. That is not free speech, that's hate speech. If they were conservatives. So then Planned Parenthood preds, white women not woke enough. Now, unbeknownst to most of you, because you don't track this shit, and I wish sometimes I didn't. They got rid of the pink pussy hats. And that was because it insulted transgender women, because I guess when you make a, a, a vagina out of a penis, it doesn't look pink. I don't know. But that's what they were saying online. So CNN did two tweets for the March for Life. 
President Trump is speaking via video feed to the March for Life gathering in Washington, where he will tout his administration's anti-abortion record. Watch on CNN. You see what I said there? NPR, PBS offer five times as much coverage to feminists compared to pro-life. CBS ignores, ABC and NBC give under three minutes to march to life. That's together combined. New York Times petulantly covers annual anti-abortion march for life, frets for Planned Parenthood. There's only one thing, Camerata on CNN who called out Prague women. You heard it in my little intro. But what was the real Women's March? What was it really about? This is what it's about. Fuck you! Fuck InfoWars! Fuck your followers! Fuck all you Zion pigs! Fuck all you racist pigs! Fuck all you pieces of shit! You're sad! Fuck Info! You're fucking sad! Look at you! Look at you, you piece of shit! You're a fucking fascist pig! Hi, yes, Horror Power. We're out here um, representing sex workers and equal rights for them because a lot of the time they're excluded from these. And um, we, our jobs are just as important and just as valid as everybody else's. So, power to the horse, power to every woman, trans, cis, women of color. All of us are together out here. So is being a whore empowering for women? Um, for some women it is. And um, uh, for the ones that it is not, that's that's their decision. And for the ones that it is, uh, we're so often vilified by society that we have to work just as hard as any other marginalized group to be recognized as having a, um, uh, autonomy over our own body. And that's like super offensive to a lot of the people in society. This is amazing. So they're chanting, lock him up. Here's the funny thing. If they locked Trump up, the economy would crash, the stock market would crash, the borders would be wide open, and America would become a third world nation. And that's what they want. That's what they want. It's incredible. You realize you're an idiot, right? What did I say that's wrong, sir? I don't really care what you said that's wrong. My point is that you're an idiot. So you have no facts to base your statement. That's absolutely not what I said. You're distorting an infowars. You, you, you called me an idiot for no reason. There he goes. There he goes. Yeah, there I go. There he goes. There he goes. I'm not going to do anything. Of course. Because you're a coward. <laughs> Weren't you about to run away? No, I was about to leave because I don't really feel like listening to assholes like you. All right. You want to put that on the air, put that on the air. We'll do. We'll do. Thank you for that content. Don't worry, son. You can do better than your father. How's this? Is he going to fart? You farted at me? He farted at me. Oh, my God. Misogynistic asshole. How? What has he done? He has tried to take away DACA and he has said that immigrants are nasty, disgusting people and it's not okay because they're citizens of America and they live here and they have a right to be here. Let's go. Good job. You know, I see that you are kind of speaking out against Trump too. It's a day about inclusion. 
Everyone. What do you What do you think he's done specifically that's against women? He's just not representing them the way that we want to be represented. Oh, we don't need to talk to you actually. So, why is Trump like Hitler? Oh, wait, you're Infowars. I don't want to talk to you. Sorry. Why is he like Hitler? It's so trendy to hate Infowars, huh? It's it's rational. It's you so guys trendy. Are garbage. You guys are garbage. What conspiracies? Alex Jones said that the government conspiracies though. Oh, turning frogs gay. Alex Jones said that the government is putting chemicals and stuff to turn frogs gay. You know, he's actually citing a study from an African American professor at a UC what Berkeley, Tyrone B. Hayes. What does that matter at all? He's citing a, a scientific study where so the, the professor. That, you, you believe that the government is putting chemicals in the water to turn frogs gay? It was from farmer runoff, not the government. I, I have nothing left to say to you. You guys are the worst. Atrazine. You guys are not news. Atrazine. Not news. Atrazine. Fake news. Fake news. All you have is gay frogs. All they have is gay frogs. That's it. That's all they say. Gay frogs. Gay frogs. It's like guys. Chemicals in the water are turning the freaking frogs gay. It's called atrazine. Look it up. It's called atrazine. See, they think that that's a victory for them. Ha ha! You think the frogs are turning gay, and then you actually read the studies, and it's true. It's like you know. This is amazing. I have no problem giving people a platform that can actually make an argument. What? Yeah, make a point. Make a point. Make a point. Come make a point. That guy is an idiot. Who? Alex. What brings you out here today? Uh, hating people like Infowars. Hating people? <laughs> no, not hating. Oh, no, don't trap me with one of your crazy liberals. I'm not doing this. So don't you think that, that that's kind of what border walls do? They kind of keep people safe on either side? No, no, no. Alex I like Alex Jones. I like Alex Jones. I love Alex Jones. Hi, Alex. Do you think that Hillary would have been better for women? Um, yes. I definitely better for women. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. A woman in the presidency would be a good thing. Nice change. Do you think that the first woman that becomes president should have a really clean record? Of, you know, not maybe have as much baggage that Hillary had. I didn't like Hillary's baggage. I really didn't. I didn't like the things that she did. I think she stole the vote from Bernie. Um, but you know, even crooked, crookism is an equal opportunity uh, uh, endeavor. So even though she was crooked, it would have made a step for women. Is that what you're saying? She was a better crook than Trump. That was my opinion. Yeah, the best. She was better at being crooked. No, she was sorry. That was I got that wrong. She was she was the better crook. She was the better crook of the two crooks. How's that? It does sound bad though, doesn't it? That's a serious setup right there. Hey, who are you with? Fuck Infowars. I'm a social anarchist. All right, where'd you get all that equipment? Yeah, you're with someone. Nice try, though. Dude, that guy had official equipment. Where? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I know that that didn't come from you. I know. I know that you don't get that type of equipment when you're independent, buddy. Seriously, dude, where'd you get all that equipment? So, do you feel proud of yourself? About what? Do you support a racist bigot? A racist cut school funding, extracurricular activity. That that fourteen point deficit is gonna come from somewhere, and it's gonna come. It's gonna come right from public education. Well, we don't like education. Let 
Exactly. Yeah, You're a fan of Betsy DeVoe. You should fucking be ashamed of yourself. Betsy DeVoe. No, I'm right to right rally. Fuck you. Anybody got a cup of coffee? Five minutes of hate. Five minutes of hate. Shit! Shit! Yeah, nobody knows who you are. You're literally a nothing. You're nothing. I got sixty thousand dollars on my stomach right now. Bench, go get some new gear. Congratulations to you. You have zero viewers. You got sixty thousand dollars, but you have zero viewers. Go get some fucking gear. You fucking Here we go. Hold this. Hold this. I'm gonna grab this. You look at how you're, but you're obsessed with me. This guy is obsessed with us. I like that. I actually like that. Shame on you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm an animal. <laughs> Yeah, you're really doing a great job raising your daughters in a world of lies. Yeah, you're doing a really great job. You're doing a really great job. You're doing a really great job. That talks about humanoids. Yeah, humanoid. Can you explain to me what a humanoid is? What is a humanoid? No, no, I'm asking the InfoLores man. What is a humanoid? You. What is a humanoid? I would say what probably is the you. Of a humanoid? Someone like you. What is the definition of a humanoid? An ignorant dumbass like you. An ignorant dumbass like me. Do you know what ignorant means? Ignorant means unaware of knowledge or lacking of a comprehensive attention. I'm asking you what that is. Oh, I'm sorry. You're just a drunk. Look at this fucking guy. Now he wants to get locked. He's getting pissed. <laughs> I'm so mad. Oh, look at how mad I am. Infowarp pig. Fuck you. I feel bad for you. Fuck you. I feel bad for you. I feel bad for your people. Look at you. You're literally foaming at the mouth. I feel bad for your children. You look like a rabid dog. You foam at the mouth because people like you are fucking pigs. And you're everything that's wrong with America. You fucking pigs. Fuck you. Fuck Infowars. Fuck your followers. Fuck all you Zion pigs. Fuck all you racist pigs. Fuck all you pieces of shit. You're sad. Fuck Info. You're fucking sad. Look at you. Look at you, you piece of shit. You can't even tell me the definition of a fucking word. You uneducated motherfucker. I got a degree in fucking engineering. I got an engineering No, you don't. Right here. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have a degree in shit. Fuck you. You're a fake poser. You're a poser. Fuck you, fascist. You're a fucking fascist pig. Hold it. Hey, guys, it's Fleckus. This week, we're at the Women's March. Who am I here with? Uh, Tom. Hello, Tom. Tom, what brings you here today? Uh, to protest Trump. Very cool. And uh, what are you protesting Trump for? Uh, you know, he's a conservative. I don't like conservatism. Basically, everything that he stands on as a platform, to be honest. What about you? What do you disagree with, with Trump so far? Well, I worked for a tribe for a lot of time, so about five years. So a lot of negativity towards the tribes. 
Um, I'm not down with that. And also, uh, you know, just the bullshit. What is like, the number one reason that everyone's here? Um. Uh, Who am I here with? Margaret. Nat. Well, what brings you here today? Um. Everything. All right, very cool. Favorite shirt of the day so far. What does it say? Uh, single taking or dismantling heteronormativity. I can't see the rest. I do see a lot of great people here who do feel empowered, but you don't have to be empowered by hating other people, by hating people that don't, don't agree with you politically, by hating the president. To me, that's not true empowerment. That's weakness in disguise of empowerment. I got ahead of people because of my position as a white male. I think that the people that need to stand up are people that have the power to say something, like myself. And I think that's what's going to help change things. So many creative people, tens of thousands of amazing signs. Imagine if we took that creative energy and that energy to, to create things and we like built an ark or built a spaceship. We could probably be on Mars by now if we took this energy and put it towards something very productive. Uh, what does your sign say? It says, kill Donald Trump, and then it says, kill Mike Pence, and then it says, it's guillotine time, bitches. I probably wouldn't want to go on a ship built by the people here if the plan was to head to Mars, but I do know what you mean. What, is, uh, what does it mean? I think that we should kill Donald Trump, and then we should also kill Mike Pence because I wouldn't want him in office either. What are some of the racist things he's done that makes you concerned about him being the president? I mean, the fact that he's done, he's, like, repealed all these um, protect uh, um, uh, sort of stuff that's supposed to protect immigrants in this country. Um, it's, like, so hypocritical, too. Um, and... Uh, I mean, we need any immigration reform, though. Um, I, I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to speak on that. <laughs> when it comes to the two candidates, obviously one was very establishment, one was an outsider. Do you think the outsider candidate might be something that we need? It might be the change the government needs. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not against an outsider per se, uh, but I don't think that because you're an outsider, therefore you're qualified. What, what do you think makes Trump very unqualified? Well, he's never been president. But this is the president of the United States. This is someone who needs to think like a diplomat, not an angry white man. I'm not here to support, like, somebody's, like, capitalist, like, trying to make money off of the struggles of women and, like, women of color and, like, people of color in this country. Like, I'm, I'm actually upset. Like, I'm, like... What is your ideal political or social structure? Um... <laughs> communist utopia but i mean that's like that's pretty hard to that's pretty yeah, hard that's to pretty do hard when it comes to trump in his first year uh what have you what do you think about what he's done so far he hasn't done anything in my opinion as a business owner the tax cut really just does enough to uh it, it, honestly it, it it doesn't matter <laughs> the economy he's is kind of irrelevant i mean the, the stock market was increasing before he came in uh there's some yes or what and then down the the, the graphs are going like this no, no, no it wasn't i've been I've, I've got my full pension invested and it's probably made what 30 percent this year i'm sure it's been increasing for the last five years it's but it's ever faster than it has recently the most recent increases are completely untrustworthy. Everyone's been very kind, but I have to be honest, this is not a woman's march. It is a pro-Democrat, pro-Obama, pro-Kamala Harris, pro-Cory Booker, pro-Obama, strongly anti-Trump, uh, Planned Parenthood support group rally march. Uh, it's just not a woman's march because it's 
only if you watch CNN and MSNBC and believe the Democrats. It's it's a march for women and men who do that. But uh, get get women the same equal pay. Come on, that's a, a, a no-brainer. I think the biggest thing that rings to me and a lot of these women out here, especially uh, the ones that are interested in the economy, is the fact that women are paid uh, drastically less by the dollar than than men are and i mean that's that's basically out there by statistics we do not make far less than men the majority of women a lot of them quite frankly stay home you know they take on the hardest job there is and that's being an at-home wife and mother you know there's different women who do different works and different things so the whole idea that we're somehow at a disadvantage to men is ridiculous but when it comes to the wage gap 77 cents to the dollar comes from median income for men versus median income for women doesn't account for the type of job, doesn't account for part-time or full-time, doesn't account for hours worked, doesn't account for degrees, doesn't account for a lot of different things that actually do play factors. If an employer wanted to save money, wouldn't they just hire women and pay them at the lower rate? That's Everyone should get paid the same If you're doing the same job, you should get the same pay. Have you seen any of the counters that say the pay wage gap is kind of a myth? Well, f- if there's anything the difference between pay wage, look at the pay between CEOs and the people that are doing all the f-ing work. I mean, that's true, but the CEOs are also taking on the risk and running the company, and you're getting paid whether the company makes money or not, right? I'm an archaeologist for a tribe, and, you know, the tribal voice needs to be heard as well. Because- what are some things that are um, happening with the tribes that you want to share? I don't think that they're being treated equally. They're being, you know, let down. And they were first, the first people here being a native myself, you know. What are some of the ways they're being let down or like what we can do to help them? Um, what do you think of the comment? He's got to go. That's all. It's just, he doesn't, re- he doesn't reflect us. He doesn't reflect Los Angeles. We should definitely try to be kinder to each other, but actions definitely matter more than words. Absolutely. Some would say... Words are just words until action actually starts because actions speak louder than words. But at the same time, words speak louder than actions because sometimes it's the right thing to do. Words are just words until action actually starts. And actions speak louder than words, but at the same time, words speak louder than actions because sometimes it's the right thing to do. John, overpass, February 4th. Hey, I'm supposed to interview you. They're not touching the mic. The Democratic Party, liberal women, and this type of women's march, you don't own women. You don't own people of color. You don't own black people or Latinos or Asian people. You don't have a monopoly on people's race, and you certainly don't have a monopoly on people's genders. As long as everyone understands that and understands that you can be a woman, you can be an activist, you can be a, a good person of any race, religion, and gender, and not support all of these policies that they're kind of force-feeding people. He's not supporting women-friendly legislation. What are some of the things you're worried he would take away? Well, uh, health care, uh, reproductive rights, for one, the right abortion. to abortion. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that's something that the government funds should be going to, a place that does do abortions, Planned Parenthood? Um, Planned Parenthood doesn't just do abortions. That's, that's their number one moneymaker, though. No, no, it's... It is, it is. Everyone I know that I've talked to has used their services, none of them had an abortion. That's like a, such a small group of people to make a whole judgment on. I can give you the numbers. They do, Planned Parenthood does a third of the country's abortions. They make the most money that they make from abortions. Of their services. And that 3% number. You're lying. I'm about to correct you. 
that 3% number counts every interaction with the medical person as a service. So if you go in there and get an STD test or go in there and get an abortion, it's counted as the same thing. That's why that number is misleading. Uh, and, of course, the anti-abortion side would have you believe that it's murder of babies, which is not true. I am a mother, and if that's your body and your baby and you have to do what's right, it's like... All the way up to the third trimester, like the week before it's born? That's not my choice. That's not my choice. It's the woman's choice. This is an iconic image now. It's the woman in the uh, American flag hijab, correct? Um, is this alluding to something that's going on in Iran, the protests in Iran? Is that part of the same thing? No. It's the comments that the current president has made about Muslims. You notice all these movements lead right back to the Democratic Party. It's like, we care about race, gender, and we own you and vote Democrat. It's like, what? <laughs> this all happened so fast. I was, I loved women. Next thing you know, I'm, uh, I'm in the booth voting for Cory Booker, even though he sold out to the pharmacy industries and squandered $100 million that were supposed to go to Newark schools. What happened to that, Mr. Booker? Mr. Booker, do you think that um, using the hijab in an image like this would almost incite a bad feeling within like the Muslim community and Muslim women who are oppressed by the hijab? Um, so obviously I'm not Muslim, so I feel like I can't, I can't speak for Muslim women, but I did take a Middle Eastern studies class this past semester. And one of the things I learned is that the hijab, um, really got a negative image from, um, white colonists. Another Fluggus Talks in the books. Thank you guys for watching. Please like, share, subscribe, all the good stuff. There is a new Fluggus Talks coming soon. Did you hear any of that on your TV? I don't like conservatives. No, you heard this glowing shit. Just like our intro to it. Here's some more. This is what you heard about the Women's March. Tens of thousands of people participated in the Women's March on Washington in downtown D.C. on January the 21st. The march took place one day after President Trump's inauguration. While participants marched for a wide variety of causes, it marked the beginning of a year in which the conversation about women's rights and the role in society got louder and louder. And we have to keep fighting! These are five breakthroughs since the march. The march was the first in a series of protests that swept the country. Some were women-centric, such as A Day Without Women and The Handmaid's Tale-inspired protests. Others were broader in scope. The March for Science called on scientific freedom without political interference. No conceivable justification! And the March for Truth calls for an independent investigation into alleged collusion between President Trump's campaign and Russia. Sexual assault allegations against Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein gave way to other revelations of abuse in entertainment, media, politics, and sports. Under the banner of Me Too, women have come forward to share stories of sexual abuse. I think the Women's March uh, played a role in allowing women to see what happens when we lead, what happens when we kind of take those positions um, and lead our nation into a conversation and into a movement that is being led by women. The Me Too movement gave rise to the Time's Up initiative, started by a group of women in the entertainment industry. Time's Up is a legal defense fund to combat sexual abuse of women in the workplace across industries. 
The organizers of the Women's March on Washington put on the Women's Convention in Detroit in October. The convention focused on progressive issues and strategies for organizing against President Trump. Actress Rose McGowan, one of the first to speak out against Harvey Weinstein, addressed the convention. It was her first public appearance since the scandal broke. Because what happened to me behind the scenes happens to all of us in this society. And that cannot stand, and it will not stand. There's been a surge in women showing interest in running for office, according to groups such as Emily's List. And so within 13 hours of coming back from the Women's March, I reached out to our county party to run for office, and I wanted to know how could I get more involved. The increase in women candidates is largely being seen in U.S. House and governor's races and driven mostly by Democrats. In Virginia, a record 28 women were elected to the House of Delegates in the state legislature in November. When Congresswoman Maxine Waters repeated the phrase, reclaiming my time, during a congressional hearing, I also have appreciated the opportunity to meet reclaiming with you my time. several times reclaiming my when time. we were doing all- It resonated with many exasperated women, especially black ones. The country later paid attention when black women turned out in record numbers in Alabama's special Senate election in December. 98% of black women voted for Doug Jones, making him the... Last year, we saw the single largest protest in U.S. history. And that was just the start. Women have been at the heart of the resistance at every single turn. We have raised our voices, told our stories, and we have marched. We have come out for healthcare, the environment, science-based information, and we have come out for racial justice. And we are still yes. And today we are standing with dreamers right now while their lives are on the line. This year is going to be resistance 2.0. Women and our allies are watching what is happening in D.C., and we will not let up. We will make our message heard at the polls this fall, which is why we are urging people to get registered to vote today. Today is about showing we are not tired and that the resistance works. We are absolutely thrilled to see so many women running for office in 2018, and we will keep having markets until our government looks like us and actually represents our rights. We're not tired, we're just getting started. To start in Washington. That's where NBC's Blaine Alexander is joining us this afternoon. Blaine, with a good day to you. Uh, this March there is shaping up to be as big as last year's potentially. How do you see it? What are the numbers? So, Alex, certainly nowhere near the crowd that we saw this time last year. But all along, 
Democrats have said only been expecting about a fraction of the 500,000 people that filled Washington last year. But if you look over here, you can tell this crowd still a very sizable crowd and very enthusiastic. Organizers were expecting anywhere between five and 6,000 people to turn out today. And just by eyeballing it, it certainly looks like they've met that mark, if not exceeded it by some. Now, I've been speaking with people out here all morning long. I spoke with some people who came here by bus, people who travel from all over the country. I even talked to a group who came from as far away as Argentina. And interestingly, Alex, some of the people, a lot of the people who are out here this year were also here last year. They've kind of dubbed themselves Women's March Veterans. But let's talk about the move out, mood out here. We've seen a shift between the move from last year and this year. As you'll remember, of course, last year's march was birthed essentially after the 2016 elections. Uh, so certainly President Trump was a focal point, kind of speaking out against him, against his policies. This year, we've kind of seen a shift. In fact, the march is officially called the Women's March on Washington, March on the Polls. So there's very, very much a strong focus on to be in positions of power in politics. So we've seen a lot of people, a lot of signs kind of looking ahead to November, looking ahead to the midterms later this year. So they're not only talking about getting women in positions of power, but also, of course, getting women to go out and vote. So they're going to be wrapping up this program in the next 30, 45 minutes or so. They'll march a mile away from the White House and see this message directly to President Trump's doorstep. Alex? All right. Blaine Alexander there in D.C. for us. Thank you so much for that. Let's go to NBC's Mariana Tensio. She's at the March in Manhattan. So you heard Blaine talk about a few thousand people, certainly significantly less than the million last year, uh, one year ago today, or rather one year ago tomorrow. That said, what's it look like in terms of numbers in, in New York City? The so, Alex, last year, 400,000 people here in New York City. This year, organizers say they were expecting 34,000 people. I want you to look at the crowd behind me. This goes all the way down to 6th Avenue. So many of these women that, like Washington, have come from other states, from all over the country, really, to be here. This crowd, Alex, getting ready to march any minute now. If you look over to my left over here, celebrities and organizers have been giving impassioned speeches for the last hour and a half. This crowd has been brought to tears many times by their words when talking about the Me Too movement and the reasons why they're here. I wanted to talk to especially some of the young girls here in the rally. You guys are out of high school, starting college. What brings you out here today? Well, I've been inspired by the women that I've read in my textbooks for years that have fought for the right to vote and the reproductive rights. And I'm standing here today honoring the women who are victims of sexual assault and women who are just victims of uh, unequal pay and immigrants in our country, and we need to stand up, and time is up. You told me you did not march last year, but you chose to come here this year. Why? Well, last year, sadly, I was at work, and I would have loved to come, but I decided that there's no way that I'm missing standing with my brothers and sisters to stand up for a cause bigger than myself. You are from Oregon, you told me. You're from Oregon over here. What brought you out here today? that we came out of this last year stronger than ever. So Alex, the crowd here, especially the young crowd, as they say, excited to be here. And as we heard from Washington, a big push made by the organizers this year to get people registered. There are people being registered here in New York City. And to bring that power to the polls, especially during the midterm elections this year. Alex? Okay, Mariana Tensio, thank you so much. They're from uh, Midtown, or I guess we're out of Columbus Circle there in New York City.
The one where the president was tweeting that all the people are out there marching to say how great he's done? No, 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 how great the economy is. We have the lowest unemployment rate for women in 17 years. You know that's years. not why they were marching. This Isn't that insulting to all those women out there who are looking no, for leadership and insulting. looking for someone to get behind them? And instead the he makes a the, joke out of their march? Whoa, 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 whoa. It's no joke that the women's unemployment rate is the lowest in 17 years. It is no joke that over half a million new women entered the workforce on his watch. And it's, it's no, no joke, joke that they don't get equal pay. And women like you have been forced to do it twice as hard as men to get to the same place. I, I and it's not right. Have, and you know it. Here, and I know it. And you guys boss. are in a position to do something about it. And instead, he's tweeting, you know, a little tongue in cheek about it. Why? Why wasn't he out Chris, there? Chris, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait a second. Women didn't get equal pay after eight years of President Obama. Millions of women are in poverty. Millions of I thought he was going to do better. Benefits. I thought he cherished women. No, he is doing better, but we've been here for one year as opposed to the eight years that we inherited. But don't do that. Don't say that that women are better off after eight years where this president no, I, I just said the is opposite. trying to make that better. I said they're, they not, keep I said they're plan, not better they off. Keep they're doctor. not getting equal pay. They deserve better, not jokes about why they're out there. That, my friends, is night and day. That's a media in the tank. That's a media helping a cause which wants unfettered abortion until conception, and as we showed on the site, or not conception, but birthing, as we've shown on this podcast, they are, they're for killing toddlers, for fuck's sake. And they're rabid hate of Trump. You didn't hear the cursing. You didn't hear fuck you and spitting. You didn't hear about how pro-life women are welcome, not allowed. You didn't hear about how pro-life women that do go because they're feminist are treated like shit, kicked, have their signs ripped out of their hands. You don't hear any of that. You don't hear about how this was this year was more for trans women, not real women, men that became women. You didn't hear that. And you didn't see this shit. Helen Ubinas, these girls, the sign, the resistance is strong with Marley Shields 14, Sophie Chan, and Sophie Dow. They had a sign, we are the grandchildren of witches you didn't burn. Everybody else said, do you know most of the witches... Six out of 20 people convicted of witchcraft were men. <laughs> men. They weren't women. Other signs. Trans women are longer. And women with a penis. If I wanted to politics in my vagina, I'd fuck a senator. That's a sign. My pussy is your worst nightmare. That's a sign. Another article. Saturday was Women's March 2018, which is impossible to miss. You spend any time on Twitter homepage, because that's all they pushed. But there's certainly to be a lot of pictures of 2017 floating around that were fake. What a crowd size. California, New York, North Carolina, Asheville. Fake pictures, my friends. They put last year's picture. That's why they had to say hundreds of thousand. They couldn't actually put up the million they wanted. It was fake. Last year was a trillion. This year, a hundred thousand, said CNN. Another site, 10 things we saw. One year later, Women's March. Equality. 
for everyone. Peace, love. They show the nice signs that don't have, get out of my pussy. But this is from Heavy. No conservative site. Clash between pro-lifers and women march protesters. Pro-lifers were created equal, brought massive signs with graphic photos of border babies, which upset a lot of women's march protesters. Some ultimately decided to stand in front of these Im- images and hold their signs on to obstruct the view. Protesters shout, my body, my choice, while blocking pro-life signs of the women's march. Pussy cat signs. An animatronic cat on a woman's shoulder. A bunch of handmaiden fucking sheep. Women questioning Trump's literacy skills. Trump can't read. All he does is watch TV. And then not to show that, you know, hey, we are told in our media that when the right protests, astroturf, not grassroots, astroturf. Remember that? Nancy Pelosi? Do we? Government shutdown notices everywhere and signs out there about the shutdown. Yeah. Federal authorities protecting marches in the midst of a shutdown, people standing on the ice, and resting bitch face. That's what they said. During it, Haley, Nikki Haley photobombed it. Thank you, First Lady Ghani, for introducing us to this group of women today in Afghanistan. More girls are going to school, and women are serving the government and starting businesses. They're using the power of the voice to create a brighter future for the country. That's girl power, not your shit. Political. Politico, during the same time. So-called abortion-conscious protections are controversial. A lot of articles like that saying, oh, these people are horrible. Let's kill everybody. ACLU. We fight for all young people forced to continue pregnancies against their will due to parental notification laws requiring consent from the guardians. These people are for five-year-olds. Go get an abortion. I know that's not biologically possible, but... Dan McLaughlin. The contrast between the prayerful March for Life and the persuasive vulgarity of the Women's March is striking if you have seen a lot of images from both. Nets cover, by the end, the Women's March nearly seven times more than the March for Life. So much the USA Today, March for Life attendees upset the voices were left out of the Women's March. They actually did an article. Vox. March for Life 2018. Marching for one day but serving for a lifetime. I'm sorry, that was from the Hill. That was the only positive I can find from USA Today and the Hill. I couldn't find anything on any other network. Or excuse me, news agency. But Vox, which is just like the same things I read on CNN, MSDNC, NBC, ABC, and CBS. The March for Life, America's biggest anti-abortion rally, explained. And they go down to how they've always been against Roe. And then they go into this, you never hear this for the Women's March. 
Some years are better attended than others. In 2013, for example, just after the start of the President Obama's second term, Fox News reported the crowd at 650, up from 400,000 in 2012. Well, last year, March, just after Trump's inauguration, had numbers of the tens of thousands, which is a lie. It was 100,000. In general, the march has been at its strongest as a counter-cultural force during periods when participants might be considered to be in the outs politically. The best-attended year on record, according to March for Life website, which does not give exact figures, was 2009, just a few days after President Obama's inauguration. I want you to think about that sentence. Counter-cultural force when they're considered on the outs politically. That says all you need to know about the Democrats. They want to kill babies and lots of them. And how is it counterculture in our society, all right, to not want to kill babies after 22 weeks, to not have federally funded abortions, and to find a way to stop the pandemic that kills mostly brown babies in this country by Planned Parenthood, who's supposed to be woke and intersectional. That's your women's march and your attack on March for Life. But let's look at it. March for Life, I look at the largest pro-life rally in the United States. This is Fox News. And they cover the history. Heavy. Today was the annual March for Life event in Washington, D.C., just one day before the Women's March anniversary events are taking place. In keeping with the tradition that started with President Donald Trump's inauguration, many people are wondering what the crowd side was. In the past, the March for Life has drawn massive crowds. Blah, blah, blah. The biggest was 2013. The numbers estimated for today vary widely. Some sources, such as Fox, say 100,000 were expected for the 45th. Meanwhile, WTOP reported that more than 50,000 were expected to take part. Crowdside estimates aren't easy to get, but you can get an idea just how massive the March of Life attendance was with this time-last video by Student for Life America that shows it was huge. Fox News. The March for Life is a movement born out of love. You love every child born and unborn because you believe that every life is sacred, that every child is a precious gift from God. Came from Trump. I agree. They marched to the Supreme Court. They showed the map. The 45th annual march happens just a week before the 45th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade. A recent poll by Knights of Columbus and Marist found that 63% of Americans support an abortion ban. After 20 weeks. You didn't hear that in CNN. Didn't hear it on ABC, NBC, CBS, or MSDNC. That's right in line with what your host has been saying for two fucking years. Yeah. People aren't for what they want. Ahead of his video address to March for Life today, President Trump declares Monday 22nd of January the National Sanctity of Life Day. And you find some tweets here and there by conservative media. But I want to show you signs. Pro-life. Pro-life equals pro-woman. Uh, I'm an exacted, I'm an accidental happy life. Every life is worth fighting for. 
The only thing I could find is defund Planned Parenthood. That's the only, you could say, controversial one. This feminist rejects abortion. Nowhere in that does attack anybody. Coexist. A big one, I don't know everything, it's about poverty, a child must die so that you may live as you wish. I don't know what that means. Massive crowd. Steve Pierce. Here at the March of Life, the side of the crowd, sheer volume of participation in this march is truly inspiring. Here are statements from people that was on heavy. I attended the march yesterday in Washington, D.C. What profoundly loving, positive people, such a massive amount of life supporters, joyous, courteous, loving people. I'm so tired and sore today, but it's all worth it. The sad, so shocking truth about the so lacking media coverage for such an important event just proves that our moral compass is pathetic. This march is for all humans, all ages, from birth to old age, regardless of color. Anyone who thinks they and their families are exempt from this cultural culture of disrespect for human lives is sadly mistaken. Open your eyes. Thank you for covering the March for Life. I attended the March for Life yesterday. Love saves lives. And I estimate it to be four hundred to 500,000 people. You never saw it. On your media. Choose love. Choose life. I am the pro-life generation. Defund parenthood. Adoption saved me from abortion. Love saves lives. Choose love. These are the signs. This is from Heavy. I didn't cherry pick this. I vote pro-life. I marched so babies could be adopted into wonderful families like I was, a woman of color. Isn't that interesting? A whole group of black people love life, choose life. I am pro-abundant life. I love adoption. An Arab woman. Peace begins in the womb. I am for our children. I am for our women. I am for life. I walk for those who can't. I support a woman's right to be born. I am pro-life generation. Two little kids. No, we were the witches you burn. No angst. A little girl, handmade. I love babies. I don't have a video of them calling people names. I don't have a video of them kicking people, spitting on people, ripping people's signs up. I am almost positive Planned Parenthood was there in the crowd being bitches. I don't have a video of it. Nobody filmed it. They were there for love and life. And during this march, you heard nothing. So as the media has played propaganda... Here is March for Life's 45-year video with some other sound bites. On January 22, 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court, imposing abortion on all 50 American states. A small group of concerned citizens organized on the first anniversary of Roe v. Wade to give witness to the unjust decision and to proclaim the truth that love saves lives. 
but the March of Life for Life grew out of this meeting of local grassroots people. When we got there that day, there were over 300 buses came from all over the country, mostly from the Northeast Corridor, but we had people coming from Michigan, Kansas, Texas. They were from all over. The atmosphere at the first March for Life was really fantastic. Everyone was so excited. We were so unhappy with the decision, of course, but we truly felt that we'd have that turned around in a year or two, that we, that would be reversed. We never dreamt it would go on for these many, many years like this. So many babies lost. We have been undeterred in our mission to be a voice for the voiceless. Over these 45 years, the March for Life has grown to become the largest annual human rights demonstration in the world. Every year it has grown. The crowds are really huge now. I think that is the most positive thing. And the youth that have come into it are the ones that are going to keep it going. And that's where we're really going to win this fight, with the young people who see the value of life, not just theirs, but to see the value of the little baby in the womb. We will be here until we overturn Roe versus Wade. And believe me, we are going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Our vision is a world where the beauty of life and the dignity of every human person is valued and protected. We march for life-saving love. We march to end abortion. And we will. I want to march for life because 40-some years ago, 1973, my mom had a a 3-and-a-half-year-old and a 1-year-old, and she found out she was pregnant. And she felt a little overwhelmed, but praise God, even though her doctor was doing abortions at the time, she wouldn't choose that option, and I'm here because of that. My name is Lizzie O'Driscoll, and I'm a junior at Archbishop Wood Catholic High School. I am also adopted, so I march so that every child will not only have a chance, but a guarantee and a right to life. My name is Dominique, and in the midst of fear, I was an abortion-minded young woman, and now I march for all the birth mamas coming behind me to know they're not alone. I march for my son's future wife and future children to know that they're all wanted, and I march for my son's parents who longed for a child and now have. Could you tell me why you're pro-life? All lives are created equal from the time you're in the womb to the time of death. I think every life is important, no matter in the womb or out of the womb. I think everyone is special and deserves a chance. I think that life is is a natural right. We're all created equal, and it's such a beautiful thing, and I I don't know why people would waste it. You don't know what that child's going to do. You can't, like, take away the opportunity. We all deserve the opportunity. You can make the new iPhone. Exactly. We are here to show uh, our faith and what we believe. We're here just to defend life because everyone deserves a shot at life. Everyone deserves a life. Life begins at conception, so we should always protect it. I'm pro-life because my birth mom chose life. Yeah, I was adopted at three weeks old. I'm pro-life just because my mom had an abortion and she really regrets it dearly and uh, every time she talks about it, she just breaks down crying. I just want to protect life in general. I've seen how abortion affects women and how adoption in serious cases is the better option um, and that women just deserve better. I'm pro-life because I believe all life is precious and it's precious whether they were wanted or unwanted. Every decision to make things better in this country, every social justice movement, none of that can work unless it's founded in the principle that every life is dignified inherently. I just love life. We're both Catholic, um, 
and really I think it comes down to just the dignity of the human person that each person is made in the image of likeness of God and that life starts at conception every person is a gift from God it's our way of life it's the Catholic way it's what, what we're here for I feel the same way So this is how much little coverage this got. There is no media coverage of any speech other than Trump and Ryan. No celebrities, no congressmen. You, you can't find it because they didn't cover it. They refused to cover it. They refused to cover, call it by its name. They refused to give any coverage for anybody who doesn't believe what they believe. Now, I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. So why am I saying it? I'm saying it since November 9th we talked about freedom of speech. We talked about the Trump administration dismantling the right to a free press. Suppressing ideas. The only people suppressing ideas is the American media who refuses to cover a pro-life march and just call it by its fucking name. You could say March for Life, you fucking anti-choice pieces of shit, and I would kind of respect you. But when you can't even call it by its name and you protect a march that is more of what I played with people kicking, cursing, calling Fox News and all these people pieces of shit. I hate conservatives. The March for Life's not even a political march. It's a march for the right for the majority of America to voice their displeasure with the Democratic Party and the mainstream media's belief that you should board a baby until it's a toddler and I gotta pay for it. That's what the march is about. Because somehow, some way, the Supreme Court believed and trusted in our Bill of Rights is the right to kill. Our forefathers never envisioned taking a baby and snatching it out with razor blades and suction. That's why there's a march. You can't tell me why there's a mar woman's march. You can't explain to me because nobody can. It's a little bit transgender. It's a little bit abortion. It's a little bit of hate Trump and a little bit of dumbass on the side. I mean, come on. What the fuck is that go fuck? One march about love, one march about hate. The media chooses hate. Yet, for an entire goddamn eight years, choose love, chop your dick off, become a transgender. Choose love, gay people should get married, fuck all you people with traditional marriage. Choose love. Abort babies when they're in the third trimester. That's choose love. Okay. They're hypocrites. 
You can't talk about freedom of speech. Jim Acosta, Chris Cuomo, that fucking twerp, cock-sucking, liberal piece of shit, Chuck Todd, can't get on my TV and lecture me on free speech when you won't even call cover the March for Life. Because it doesn't conform with your ideology, which you're pushing out of your microphone and your camera every day to brainwash the masses to be like you cool kids. A woman's right to choose. Stab the baby as it fucking crowns. I go back to the commenter. Our moral compass is so fucked up in this country, and it's fucked up for one reason. Because to win elections... We now have a Democratic Party that is for anything but traditional marriage. Anything but the family union. Anything but the rule of law. Anything but the moral compass that you shouldn't kill a baby when it's a baby. You can no longer go with clumps of cells. You can no longer say it's just a fetus. It's a fucking baby. They get born at 23 weeks. They live. But that's our moral compass. Because a political party needs to stoop down to fucking gutters to pull it out. Because their idea of the rule of law is communism. That's the structure of our government. Anything goes. Everybody gets everything. And oh, by the way, I'm going to tell you how to think. From cradle to grave. It disgusts me. Thus I cover it. To a music break, a brief news, social media nuggets.
The media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. game on campus these days and they call it pc pc politically correct and it's not just politics it's everything it's what you eat it's what you wear and it's what you say if you don't watch yourself you can get in a buttload of trouble 
For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Daddy's in the military now. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Porkchop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. And we're in our military corner. I played that Freedom Isn't Free. I've been sitting on that for months. That's from Big Sis in Colorado, who I ask all my listeners to please, if you're a religious person or if you're not, 
Keep her in prayers and thoughts. She's got a bad bout of pneumonia. And with A-H-U-S, that's a dangerous thing. So I hope you all can keep her in your prayers and thoughts. But she sent me that a couple weeks ago. I haven't been able to fit it in. So I filled it in today. So to our first article, Airman Christopher Lewis received Silver Star from Mosul Heroism. And the story goes... Uh, exposed an Islamic State fighter enemy fire for outside Mosul on October 20, 2016. Since the truck's 50 caliber machine gun jammed, someone had to operate it. Lewis did just that while calling in airstrikes that rained bombs within 400 meters. And, um, that's pretty fucking badass. Task and purpose. Six things officer love, but enlisted troops can't stand. Number six. Taking orders from an officer we don't trust. Five. Officer-led PT. It's no secret that when a commanding officer wants to lead morning PT, morale lowers until the session's over. In a grunt platoon, we like to talk to shit-talk one another as motivation to gain that extra push-up or pull-up. But once the brass is on the deck, the verbiage changes, and the enlisted just want to finish it up, go back and play Call of Duty. Four, when a boot officer wants to be included in every single detail. Yeah. Three, Army Navy games. That is so true. I didn't care about the Army Navy until I got out. I didn't give a fuck what I was saying. Two, having their shit pre-staged for them. At times, enlisted troops become personal assistants, even though it's not in their job description. When grunts head out to the field, some officers require their tents and other amenities to be set up prior to the arrival. And guess who's called upon to set that shit up? Yeah. And work parties. Typically, officers aren't the ones cleaning the grounds or the office spaces. Luckily, that's why the U.S. government pays janitorial personnel, which is enlisted. thought that was kind of cute. Now to our college crazy. Due to the length of podcast, not as long as usual. UCLA finding itself for air travel to fight global warming. Did you hear that? They're finding themselves. So if they fly too much, they're going to give themselves a carbon offset by taking their own money. What the fuck? Police have to protect Trump supporters from a mob at USC. Campus police escorted two Trump supporters from the premises of the University of Southern California when a mob threatened their safety following a gubernatorial town hall. Protesters repeatedly heckled the Trump supporters during the debate. Several people later accosted them as they stood outside the venue, eventually leading campus police to offer the escort the pair to the car and safety. We're going to continue the Trump campaign. Remember, on this show, you're a resistance member. You're going to show. Go back and listen to all the bullshit you people did. Nobody was stupid. They knew Trump supporters weren't starting that shit. You jackasses. Move on. All the fucking mob tactics you use. Paint board by sport Soros. Professor Blast tokenistic depictions of minorities in textbooks. Not going to read it. That's what it is. Same professor pro- protest that we don't have black people in textbooks a year ago. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Casey Dillon, one of my favorites. I read her tweets all the time. Course, course uses pyramid of white supremacy to teach diversity. This is some good shit. And I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna read the article. Uh, I'm just gonna enlarge the picture again because somehow when I uh, edited this, I fucked the picture up. 
So uh, let me make it bigger. So, indifference. Politics don't affect me. Two sides to every story, not challenging racist jokes. Minimization. We are all belong to the human race. Denial of white privilege. White savior complex. Post-racial society. White ally speaking over P person of color. Veiled racism. Uh, paternalism. Victim blaming. Jokes. English-only initiatives, bootstrap, tokenism, oh, okay. tone policing, claiming reverse racism, discrimination, mass incarceration. Once again, one of those things that just cracked me up. You can do all your crimes because you're black. Okay. Kevin Spacey got away with gay. I don't think black works. Gay does. School to prison pipeline, hiring discrimination, stop and frisk. Anti-immigration policies, funding schools only locally, calls for violence, the KKK, neo-Nazi, the N-word, Confederate flag, cross and swastika, violence, unjust police shootings, lynching and hate crimes, and police brutality. That's the top of the pyramid. And then mass murder genocide, which happens all the time in America. If you go to BLM website, yeah, it's, it's happening now. Okay. Hmm. Then there was this in response to the MRA douche who edited out all the women, all the women out of the Last Jedi. I decided to edit out all the men out of Saving Private Ryan. Internet hero edited out all men in Saving Private Ryan. It's glorious. A whole new and stupid meaning now for the word hero. That's not even true. There's a military cemetery at the end. Want to know the gender of 99% of those heroes buried there? <laughs> Casey Dillon again. The edited video shows here display white cross in the cemetery. Those crosses symbolize the men who fought and died in the war to protect the world from Nazism. This type of feminism is truly disgusting. They think that's cute. I'm sorry that women didn't win in World War II. Why don't we do a do-over? And just you pussy hat-wearing freaks can go over there. University of Connecticut encouraged students to talk through their feelings about Ben Shapiro's appearance. Just going to let that sit. Hasn't even showed up yet. Talk through your feelings. I know it's hard to listen to opposing views. That's why we have Twitter and Facebook editing out all people that are conservative and saying they read Russian bots. HuffPost UK, L'Oreal cast hijab wearing a a men con in the new hair campaign, and it's perfect. And then the whole world says, well, how the fuck can you do that when she is a supporter of brutal killing of Israelis and she's not showing her hair? That's their ad campaign. To bow to it, we're not going to show hair. Then there's Sundance, the disturbing child rape movie that left Sundance speechless. The tale depicts a grown woman, Laura Dern, working through the realization that she was sexually abused at age 13, graphically depicting those horrifying sexual assault scenes on a little boy. And then my favorite one of this segment. 
The Guardian, a whole article. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it. Why I refuse to make friends with my vagina. That's a pause for effect. I just want you to think about the person that wrote that. Because I've never in my life thought, why I made friends with my penis. I don't think of my penis as another person. It's part of my body. That'd be like saying, I'm not friends with my pinky. When I really like my pinky, he helps me pick my fucking nose. What is wrong with you people? Jesus. To the scary German nurse charged with 97 more murders at a hospital. German nurse who's already serving a life sentence for two murders has been charged with killing 97 more patients over several years at two hospitals in northwest Germany. The new indictment against Niels Hogel is expected after officials said in November that he may have killed more than 100 patients in total. Killing him. Then there's this trite and lie. Violent deaths of LGBT people in Brazil hill all, all time high. At least 445 LGBT Brazilians died as victims of homophobia in 2017, new research reveals, following a 30% spike just one year ago. The problem is when you distill down this statistic, they have no proof they were killed because they were transgender. Some of them were robberies. Some of them were just murders. They don't know if it's that. They just happen to be that. And this is how BLM, GLAD, and all them run these statistics. A person's black, they got killed. The cop was involved. It's a black killing. Well, it, they omit the fact that the guy shot at the cop first. Was told to put his weapon down. They don't care. He was black. Let him do whatever they want. He's gay. Let him do whatever they want. And they're transgender. Do whatever you want. But don't make friends with your vagina. If it used to be a penis, or whatever. And our last thing before our lighter fare, because once again, I had to condense this down. Sorry, it's not as fun as it usually is, but we have a really long podcast. Mystery of Dog, who traveled 113 miles on train and even changed at Manchester. This dog traveled back to his owner, 113 miles, made a subway change, and got back home. My dog's can't even find the toy that they were playing with five minutes earlier. So it really scares me thinking that the three huskies that I own, you know, if they got lost, one of them would just stay down and die. The puppy would shit all over everybody, so he'd probably get brought back to us. They'd find the house. And my female, I don't know what she does. She's a little emotional. She might go inside a personal bubble. Yeah, just a little personal bubble, ball up. I don't know. Be scary. So that's an abbreviated new social media nuggets. Now on to our lighter fare. This is a soundbite I found on um, YouTube by accident. I was searching for um, Women's March, March for Life videos, and it just popped up. I want you to understand, resistance members, pussy hat wearers, Trump haters, white males like me must die, never have an opinion, should never write English, shouldn't do anything, should just go in a hole and kill ourselves. Haters. Something. That was a diatribe. I got lost. Whatever. There's a lot to unpack and how much they hate everything, but...
This is a BW, a black woman, who, more eloquently than I can, because she has a vagina, can say these things. I can't, because I don't have a vagina. I have a penis, an evil penis that needs to be turned into a vagina, and then you'd like me, which would be really weird, because I'd still be the same, but I'd have a vagina, penis, penis, vagina, or whatever the hell you guys call that thing, and I could put a pussy hat on, but I'd still say the same things I am, but but I'd be part of your group, right? Because I'd have a penis vagina. Well, anyway, she sums up the Women's March, the reason of it, or the lack thereof, better than I could, and it's funny as shit. Back in 2017, I had no clue what women were marching about in this country. The year is now 2018, and I still have no clue what women are marching about in this country. My name is Candace Owens, and you are watching Whose March Is It Anyways? What would have to be going on in your country to make you dress like a vagina and wear a pink pussy hat on your head? If this question just stumped you, then you were literally me this past weekend trying to figure out what the heck these women are marching about and why the heck they insist on wearing a pussy hat on their heads. Some people criticize the movement as being unintellectual, and that's not fair. If these women weren't smart, then why are they carrying around signs of wisdom like F-U, you effing F? Mm, that's not helping anybody. Let's switch gears. So what? Maybe they aren't the most eloquent signs. Don't let that distract from the message of their oppression. I mean, last year, Madonna thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Clearly, there is something wrong with our government and the way that it treats women. I mean, why else would she threaten to blow up the White House? It's not like Madonna is some crazy has-been pop star who's desperate for relevance or anything. We love Madonna! F you, you effing F! Calm down. Let's just... Try to look at this objectively. I don't think we should blow up the White House because, factually speaking, President Trump has elected more women to high-ranking in cabinet positions than any president in the history of the United States. Huh? Don't let that discourage you. Maybe there's other stuff we can threaten to blow up. I'd stay away from the colleges and universities, too, though, because... Factually speaking, women are graduating in much higher numbers than men. They also account for the majority of business startups, stay away from there, and we're far less likely to commit crimes, go to prison, or commit suicide. Whose march is this again? Oh, wait a minute. After I listened to that, yeah, she wouldn't be invited either. But that's kind of the one of the interesting things that I think I look at the backside when I'm more calm and reserved over all this because I get angry about our moral compass as a country. You don't see people of color women march pictures. They find lily white people because it has to drive their agenda, which is not only is it abortion, it's racism. You know what I mean? It is that we're trying to restrict the rights for black people to abort babies. When, as we prove it on the show, Planned Parenthood needs black people to abort babies because that's the majority of their abortions, and it's just a fucking business. It, it isn't about the baby anymore. It's money. You make $1.4 trillion killing things that happen to be babies. But you never see their pictures. That's why I pointed it out. I'm not like the race monitor, white person, black person. I'm just showing you that people of color, white people, brown people, Yellow people, red people, if a motherfucker was spotted, they would probably be in the majority of 63% of Americans that are against abortion after 22 weeks. They'd probably be in the majority of over 73% who said they don't want to pay for your fucking abortion. We already paid for your fucking birth control. 
Well, we did until Obamacare mandate's done, but it's still there. Yeah, we, we don't want to pay for it. And they're part of the majority of Americans who think abortion should be the last resort. Maybe take birth control. Try that out. Work for us. Work for everybody else who never had an abortion. I mean, granted, I'm in a family that was so, so responsible, we had no unplanned pregnancies. Maybe it's because we thought about what we were doing. We just didn't thrash our gentinals around on anything that would come around us. I don't know. We planned our pregnancies. And then I got fixed. I got fixed. You can't even call me a sexist. I went and did the operation so we wouldn't have any pregnancies. Because my wife had complications with birth control. She had like two periods a month. It was rough on her. That is pretty fucking woke if you ask me. So I had to close the segment with that. That is excellent work. She said her name. All rights go to her. But it sums up that what you're seeing on your TV, have you got anything from the end of this? I know I can't change anybody's mind on abortion. It is as solid as if you root for the Packers, you like brisket. I'm with you. That That's a moral thing everybody's got to choose. But you should walk away. There was no coverage. The media pushed one march. You didn't see the truth. And it's not a bunch of white crackers out to keep the black man, woman, and the black community down. No. It's a human march about love. And how the hell that don't make our TV shows how fucking morally corrupt progressives are. Put that in your pipe. And smoke it. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share it with your family and friends. Send comments by email at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOPPodcast.com. It's a theme. There you can see links to feeds for the show, our Facebook page, and email us. You'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Intending on doing a podcast Monday, 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 29 January, year of our Lord, 2018. Hoping it's something a little more positive. Maybe we won't be talking about shutdown shitholes and abortion. That'd be kind of neat. As you go into the rest of your week and your weekend, enjoy yourself. Stay warm. For those in the South, we've got to warm up. We're going to get some more snow next week. So get your dog on water and buy bread and lose your freaking mind because it looks like it's going to be another big storm. And as always, make sure you disconnect from your computers, your phones, your pads, pods, and Macs. And doggone, spend time with your family and friends. It's a short ride and it's over. And I close, as I said in the beginning of... I need social media nuggets. For all those that are listening, my family and friends, for those that are listeners and been sticking with the show for a long time, I thank you, and I would thank you again if you would please, in your thoughts and prayers, think about my sister, who is in a hospital right now in Colorado. May she get better, because we love her so much. As always, my friends, thanks for listening, and take care.